feeling a process, feeling the pain, has the effect of triggering the healing process. Because when you access feeling, you access the body's wisdom. You access the body's needs and the body responds to its own needs. And that means you end up doing exactly what you need without, not, not necessarily intentionally, yeah, but you, you're allowing the body to get on with how it knows how to take care of itself. And this body's been around for millions of years and it knows a lot more than the thought process does you know, in, in the sense of how to take care of itself. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today's guest is Matthew Zoltan, author of Undo and founder of Quiet Retreats. Matthew is a former monk and meditation teacher who has pioneered the body-mind connection since the 1980s. Over the last 35 years, he has helped tens of thousands of people through his clinic in Australia, internationally via his silent residential meditation retreats, and now through his natural meditation app called Undo. During Matthew's seven years as a monk, he came to recognize the lack of relevance the traditional meditation had in real life. So he set out to demystify meditation whilst maintaining, enhancing, and exposing its massive benefits. His approach isn't conventional, but it works immediately and is immensely effective. His insights are based on decades of hands-on research, reflection, and solid experience from successfully working with clients and patients with all types of physical and mental health issues and with meditators interested in their own self-development. There is nothing mystical about what he has discovered, yet most people have never heard of anything like it before. His insights come from his own biological process, a process that cannot be known by thought, but only at a fundamental level of experiencing the live physical sensations unique to the human body. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a warm review at the top of the show page on Spotify or at the bottom of the show page if you are listening on Apple Podcast. Your opinions matter and your ratings help us to grow and help more people to be healthy, find freedom of body and mind, and to live their dreams. And now over to Paul talking with Matthew about the feeling for healing. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. And today my guest is Matthew Zoltan. We are going to talk about feeling for healing. And I think you're going to find this a fascinating dialogue with Matthew, his approach to meditation and uh, mind-body integration and healing and understanding the importance of our body as the basis of our experience in life is very, very important. I learned about Matthew's work from Zeus Yamianis, who I've done a couple of podcasts with and is someone who I trust deeply for his wisdom. So when he recommended Matthew, I was very interested. And Matthew and I have spent some time together talking, exploring ideas, and looking. I've looked into his app, read some of his material, and I think you're going to have a fascinating exploration with Matthew and I today, but particularly Matthew. So Matthew, welcome to Living 4D. It's a great uh, opportunity for us to really help some people experience themselves and understand healing and, and their own life experience in ways that I think you're probably the only one I've ever seen really putting this approach together the way you have. There's bits and pieces of it 
uh, out there with people like Basil, uh, Basil Vanderklok and various other trauma healing experts, Peter Levine, but I don't think they have developed a system like you have. So it's exciting to have you here to get into all this. Yeah, thank you, Paul. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we'll be help, helping a lot of people with what we'll be illuminating in what we're talking about because it's a very complex area and I like to bring it down to a very simple solution for a very complex problem. Yeah, I think that's really important. As you know, in our very heady world, most people end up getting <laughs> complex solutions for simple problems and the result <laughs> is that they never really address the simple problem. <laughs> yeah. So Strangely the, so enough. The, <laughs> so the solution becomes more part of the problem. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The solution confuses you, making the problem worse. In my studies of your work, working with your app, reading the chapter that you sent me, and our previous uh, dialogues and email exchanges, I thought I would like to start by just clarifying some definitions and concepts. Because in reading your material, which I was doing right up to the bell, as you know, um, I can see where people might find themselves having an inner dialogue of disagreement or confusion because the way they are thinking of key words separates them from what your actual intention might be. So here are some words I'd like to begin with what does the word soul mean when you use that term the word soul means when i work when i use that term i actually don't i rarely do use that term actually well i didn't i didn't see it in the writings i'm asking it because what i felt reading that chapter and going through your material is that a lot of the dialogue and the writing and the concepts wholly place the experience of personhood in only a physical body, which excludes the fact that the soul is what's animating the body and is the living intelligence in which the body becomes a vehicle of experience. So I was curious. It made me think, I wonder what Matthew thinks the soul is, because I don't see a place for soul. I only see the soul's uh, garment, the soul's vehicle persona uh, means of expressing itself so i was curious what soul means to you and where does it fit into your concepts as you would share your undue approach yeah the basis of using a whole body system is in order to prevent complications at the origin of uh, the healing process and that means to prevent the complications of looking further afield or what, uh, what people think is further afield than themselves, than their, what, what you're calling right now, than your bodily self. By not going into so many descriptions, but actually embodiment, embodying everything within the body itself. Now, what I mean by that is quite a, quite a lot really because you'll find that the embodiment of the whole picture of oneself doesn't exclude anything yeah in that in that in that I'm not excluding every, anything I'm just 
getting giving people a grounded foundation in the body. And I've found that this is a very like a safety net that prevents people from going too far too soon um, into areas that may be quite quite complex that can be quite complex but it doesn't reduce the healing process it actually decomp uncomplicates it um, because yeah. what yeah and in uncomplicating it I'm able to by uh, keeping it grounded in the body as you probably know we in the vibrations of our molecules of our, of our whole system change all the time meaning that you know you would have experienced this this changes all the time from light to solid light to solid just for one example you know from a, a very high level of energy based on a higher vibration to a, a really solid level of energy based on a, a lower vibration you might call it and so my my uh, terms uh, don't get compounded or caught up in and I don't mean you have to get caught up in it but people have a tendency to jump the gun they have a tendency to try and understand something which only comes once there's a foundation in the body because well this is what I found I should say I this is what I found once there's a foundation in understanding the body and I mean really understanding the sense of yourself in the body I find that then you're anchored in a a grounded reality um, from which you have really no limitations and in you so there's no need to limit no need to limit what your approach is it's just that you must remain grounded all the time in the body and in that way you lift your own vibrations whatever um, in order to match your current condition but to try and I find to try, most people have a, a tendency or a lot of people have a tendency to try to, to, to achieve a certain vibration or a certain, char char a certain um, condition before they're actually um, really uh, ready for that. For example, when there's too much trauma and turmoil in the body, we basically, uh, in the system, just, just in the whole system, I'm using the word body because I'm so used to using the word body, oh, no, but only body. But the reason I do this is when people are not grounded in their system, in a healthy, especially in a way in which you feel at peace um, or you, in a way that you feel you're able to deal with the peacelessness without reacting to it, then... Uh, what happens is you're, you're, if you try and you, you try and um, take that further, I find that's far too early because what you get caught up in is resistance, denial, suppression, and disconnection. As I've talked about in the white paper, that in that disconnection, because they're trying tr trying to achieve a state that is not theirs yet. Um, and that's not saying it's a higher or lower state because, as you probably know, the, the states that we go through on a daily basis change all the time. And so, you know, we can have a, a, what you would call a lower vibration or a higher vibration going on. But in, in essence, to become uh, attuned to whatever vibration and accepting of whatever vibration or another word, whatever state you are in, to become accepting of that, that is uh, the preliminary education 
that I very much focus on to keep that stability throughout healing that will inevitably, or a lot of the time, become far more tumultuous um, as the depth of your healing goes on. And you really, I find people that don't have that grounding, they tend to, in something uh, that they can return to easily, that they can say, yep, I know what this is, and they can return to the body or they can return to what they are experiencing on the inside of ourselves, then once they can do that and not be, it, it not be caused, causing themselves too much turmoil and too much distress in doing that, then they will have more of a chance to stay with the experience because, as you probably know, staying with the experience of turmoil, staying with the experience of pain or the experience of distress is something that's interfered with by the way in which we think about it. So, it, mm. it, it, yeah, yeah, so the way we react to it. And so if we can go beneath that level of thinking into purely feeling, not reactionary feeling, not emotionalizing, but purely feeling what what happens is we've now got a stability. We now have a uh, an anchor in our body which gives us a place to go from. And it's very. I find this is very important because people tend to avoid their pain to a point where they lose contact with that pain and create a separation, and they don't right. even know it. Yeah. And so I, I really need to give them an education. And that's what I do in the app to give them an education on exactly how the thought process, the feeling process, the mind, the mind body concept, the natural intelligence of the body. All this is very subtle, not, not at all superficial, but it's working firstly to understand how you, and on, on a, experiential level how you are actually functioning on the inside yeah and yeah. then you've got your container now once you've got your container and you're, you're, you're you feel a bit solid on the inside go for it i say go for it but at that point until you go for it what you'll tend to do is you'll opt for the pleasure you'll opt for the bliss you'll opt for the fun or not fun that's more too superficial you'll opt, opt for what we think of as higher states rather than dealing with what we are assuming, and I'm only saying assuming or calling lower states. And the, the bias that we have with in respect to different states, I've actually found that's the main thing that needs to be eliminated, not the states themselves. Because once we're uh, free of the bias of how we think about a state, you know, like it or don't like it, then just the state itself becomes acceptable and then we can process it. Yeah. Just so you know, when I use the term soul, put simply, I mean consciousness within. So anything okay. that one can be conscious of, whether it be thinking, feeling, sensation or intuition... They all depend on consciousness within. The within would be the body, and that body in this dimension would be the physical body. But, of course, we have other bodies that inform this body. So when, when a person dies, in my conception, they still have a body. It's just that it's a different dimensional body. It's a vehicle of light. 
so I, I, I just want to make sure that if I use the word soul, you know what I'm talking about. The yeah, consciousness good. within that within. we actually mm. use. Because if you had no soul, even though you had a sensory system, you wouldn't have any conscious awareness what you were perceiving. It would be just like a, a computer measuring data with no attachment to what the data is. It would just be numbers or fluctuations of phenomena. How will you, when you use the word mind, what exactly are you, you what are you conveying with that term? The thought process. Okay. What in your conception? What is a thought, and how is a thought created? It's basically an imagination. So ah, okay, yeah. So basically, we conjure, or if you like, we when we think, there's no actual thought that is there. It's like like if you're thinking, if, if something is imagined, then from and I don't mean imagined as in fantasizing i'm talking about the origin of thought the origin of thought being sensation I, I i've experienced it as simply sensation in the body and that sensation precedes the expression of that sensation um and which in the form of thoughts and so on yeah there's thoughts thoughts and feelings and so on but the actual what you say what does i think a thought is uh, the thought really is an interloper because the thought is not part of the natural human, natural process. The thought is something we added on. This is just how I'm looking at it, yeah? The thought is yeah. something which we've added on um, at a certain age once we learn to speak and so on, yeah, with complex language and so forth. And that thought process that we've added on, unfortunately, we've added that on uh, loaded with a particular culture, a particular association with that word, and in that loading up of those thoughts, we create our own particular form of bias, our own particular form of conflict, uh, and our own particular fantasy. But, mm -hmm. but, the, but the yeah, you see what I'm saying. So, but the the reality begins with the sensory, or so. So the thought process begins with. A sensation, and the sensation is the origin of that thought and information. And then as you follow through that thought, that thought can go to, oh, you, you can think uh, whatever it is you want to think. Say I have, uh, uh, I feel hot. I feel hot. I already know I'm hot. And then I think I'm hot. And by the time I'm thinking I'm hot, it's, it's one step away from what we already know. Before thought comes into the before thought comes into action, so thought is 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 the sensory process is the feeling hot or feeling cold or feeling sad or feeling angry or whatever, and the you know that but in a different way you know that in the way that the body understands things which is sensory, but you don't necessarily know that in a sen sense of describing that to yourself. Yeah, so you got the description, yeah. description of um, what you were saying, describing or what you're thinking becomes the description of the fact, nothing more. So the description of the fact. So thought is a description, a descriptive process, a recognition process, an analytical process, and so on. But all, a naming, all are, a naming, process. a naming process, exactly. So the name is not actually necessary apart from 
you know, to get through day-to-day life. But I, th- I find the problem with thought is when we use it for more than what it's meant for. And my, my uh, understanding from my experience, and I'm not saying it's the only experience in the world, <laughs> you know, but my understanding from my experience is that thought really only should be used for mechanical processes, not for the identification um, with uh, something to add on to ourselves. I mean, I'll make that more clear. When you start adding things to yourself through the thought process, I'm a, I'm a good man, I'm a bad man, then you are interpreting a sensation, you're interpreting your pe- person, and interpreting your person, you create bias. Once you create bias, you can create, you know, all sorts of problems, but the, all sorts of, you know, dislikes and likes and so on. Whereas before mm-hmm. that bias comes into it, you are really not so concerned with whether something's hot or cold or, you know, whether something's making you happy or making you sad. These are just a f- accumulation of facts um, at the sensory level that the body is well equipped to deal with and also to understand, but in a different way to the thought process. It's, it's a sensory process, but you still understand it. Yeah. You still, you still yeah, have a total yeah. understanding. Yeah, one of the thoughts, thoughts, <laughs> feelings. <laughs> one of the one of the things that rose up in me as I studied your work and your app and and everything we've been in dialogue on in preparation for the podcast that I wanted to bring up, and 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 this might be addressed later in the in the outline. I don't remember, but I think it's important to cover now because because your approach is so sensory based, which I I, I think for most people is, is very, very important. And, and probably for all people at, at some level, um, because we all have a body. And yeah. unfortunately, a lot of the people that think they're beyond their body are actually having problems with their body, which yeah. is the classic, you know, I'm in, I'm in San Diego and Yogananda's headquarters is in Encinitas where my office was for many, many years. And I lived for many years. So I forever had these yogis coming to me that were very, shall we say, spiritual elitist, but their bodies were falling apart and they were torturing themselves all in the name of God. Yeah. So uh, why I'm bringing this up is because, you know, I've done a lot of work with biofeedback therapy. Um, I've done tons of work with various types of meditation and and things that you you know, because we've talked about them. But one of the things I've seen over and over again, is, and this is especially true of people with unhealed traumas, yes, and that is that their sensory experience is distorted by their thought processes. And I'll give you a simple example. I use the cold plunge, and I often take athletes or people to the cold plunge as part of their healing work and suggestion for use of it, etc., and it's always blown my mind that people that are, you know, physically very fit and would seem very robust and rigorous, you know, if you had to say, okay, which of these people do you want to choose as a soldier to go to battle with? Yeah. What I find is that the people that often look like they're the most ready, as soon as I take them to that cold plunge and they touch the water, immediately I start hearing thoughts come <laughs> that are connected to the sensation of the cold. And they'll say things like, oh, that's too cold for me. My body hates cold. I don't want to get in that. And then there's a long list of all the things that'll happen if they get in there. And I'm like, okay, good. You just freaking lifted rocks for half an hour. You got scrapes (laughs) all over your body. 
you worked yourself half to death, you were happy as a clam, and, and now I'm asking you to get into 45 degree water, which won't do anything but enliven you, and you <laughs> have already programmed your sensation to reject the water. So here's where the punchline comes in. I say, what I want you to do is suspend all thoughts, feelings, or judgments about the water and pay attention to what your body has to say, because this cold water is not going to kill you. And even if you're only in there for 10 seconds, you'll just get off and dry off and everything will be hunky-dory. So go ahead and get in and listen to what your body says. And 99% of the time, they look at me in about a minute or less and go, wow, you're right. My body's really loving this feeling. Uh Uh-huh. I guess I was thinking my way out of it. Yeah. yeah. So the the point I'm trying to address is because so many people are so deeply conditioned mentally and with painful emotions and and associations and complexes, to use a Jungian term, their actual relationship with their sensory system is already distorted in the unconscious background. So I thought that was important to address because... My question is, how do you address those issues when you're bringing someone into a, a feeling sensation-based experience and those feelings and sensations may already be linked to cognitive processes that could be disassociative, but they're not even aware that they're doing it to themselves? Yes. Yeah. So this is where it's not a... Um this is where psychology tends to fall over, is that we aren't taking advantage of the body, not to the extent that we should be, yeah? And yes. to the wisdom and the power of the body to change its views. I'll, ta- I'll say change its views, yeah? Or not necessarily change its views, but realise that you are not in trouble when you are believing you are. But the only way I've found a very, very powerful system, uh, and I mean that because it's, uh, I'm not saying that to sound good, I've, I've really uh, seen this working over and over again. And what is the most difficult thing for a person to do is to do what they don't want to do, to do... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's pretty true. I think that's true. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll and, agree with that. <laughs> you know, you don't want to do it. But with even when habit, it's good for you, though, even, even when, when it's, it's good, good for you. you, right? Just like I talked about the water or eating yeah. good food or drinking water instead of coffee or beer or tea. Um, and, and I think that's, I think it's an important point. I mean, I'm, you know, I, I hope you understand I'm not trying to be antagonistic. I'm trying to clarify me. Very, no, very. Not at all. Very, at all. very important issues because yeah, I, I have a deep, deep connection with my body. I mean, I, yes. I'm, I, I was an elite athlete from the time I was a child, and I couldn't have done what I did without that. And and many of the sports I was involved in require exquisite body relationship, body awareness, and body control, such as racing motocross. I mean, you're going extremely fast in rough terrain with lots of racers around you and anything can happen at any time. And the problem is you cannot use your mind in a motocross race because it can't think fast enough to respond to the stimuli. And you will find yourself, especially as you develop your skill level, to 
actually be responding to the motorcycle and the environment faster than your mind can think and going, oh my God, I don't even know how I did that, but thank God exactly. it worked out. <laughs> exactly. Right? Our relationship with our body, as you describe in your white paper, is our relationship to and in the world and to ourselves. And if we're not in our body, then we're not really in this world. Yeah. And that creates a problem. And that's really what disassociation is all about. You're not in this world and you can't heal your body exactly. in another world. Yeah. You can initiate, you can say, you know, you, you can, you can do mushrooms and realize you have this or that problem and say, well, I really should heal that. But that doesn't mean that you've done the healing. Meditation is often believed to do the healing, but meditation yeah, but opens the door of awareness, but it's not actually doing the healing. Yeah, I think that all these things that we're talking about are very, very important because if people don't understand what you're really saying, they can find themselves shutting off because they go into their own dialogue and counterpoint okay. in their head, but they don't really know what exactly Matthew's trying to say, which is why I'm wanting to clarify these things. Thanks. Hello, everybody. For the month of April, the Czech Institute is offering a special discount offer on all Integrated Movement Science Level 1 prerequisite courses. I designed the Integrated Movement Science Level 1 specifically to address what was missing in the personal trainer and strength coaching certifications worldwide. Why? Because the percentage of people at all ages engaging exercise professionals commonly show up with a variety of postural and muscle imbalance syndromes, unresolved and undiagnosed orthopedic injuries, and chronic health challenges such as global inflammation or metabolic syndrome, chronic fatigue, adrenal exhaustion, digestive and eliminative challenges, high levels of toxicity from the environment, and from eating non-organic foods that come in plastics cans and from cooking with toxic cookware, such as aluminum and cookware with Teflon linings. Teflon is used to stop foods from sticking to pans, but the problem is it sticks to you. A good example of why Integrated Movement Science Level 1 is so important for anyone that wants to master effective exercise program designed for themselves or for any exercise or healthcare professional that designs corrective, general conditioning, or high-performance conditioning programs was demonstrated in a study that I read in a major medical journal about 10 years ago. The study was conducted by finding a large group of adults that had never had any back pain. The subjects were then given an MRI scan for the lumbar spine. The researchers found that 72% of the pain-free subjects had a lumbar disc bulge. When the MRI scans were put before a panel of orthopedic surgeons for analysis, they conducted that 50% of the subjects in the study were surgical candidates. These are the people going to gyms, engaging intense training programs like CrossFit and others, most often without any skillful training in exercise technique. It is exactly this kind of situation coupled with poor levels of general health that have led to a large number of people getting injured and not achieving their health and fitness goals, but often being in so much pain, they are debilitated and end up on multiple drugs needing surgery and frequently end up worse off than when they started going to a gym. Having seen this exact problem throughout my career and being a therapist to many such people and athletes of all skill levels that came to me for help with these kinds of problems. I felt it was my duty to develop IMS1 to both upskill health and exercise professionals so they know how to perform a holistic assessment and write a holistic coaching plan and to protect the public from unnecessary injuries and setbacks. 
IMS 1 can be taken online at your leisure or attended live. What you will learn in this truly holistic training program is the essential check holistic principles, including how the male and female energies function through the autonomic nervous system and body, and how they relate to diet and lifestyle choices. You will learn the importance and application of my four-doctor system that shows you how to create a holistic diet, exercise, and lifestyle plan, which includes training on doctor happiness, doctor movement, doctor diet, and doctor quiet. You'll learn why posture is essential to understand and how to assess posture and correct posture with the skillful application of joint mobilization, corrective stretching, and corrective exercise prescription. How to perform specific length tension assessments to identify muscle imbalance syndromes and training on the scientific application of stretching and joint mobilization for corrective purposes. You will learn how to determine an individual's overall levels of stress and design holistic exercise programs that produced enhanced well-being. Additionally, you will learn how to assess and correct abdominal wall dysfunction and restore core function to the spine, which will provide extremity stability, and how to break down a case history and design a client-specific holistic program to meet the client's unique needs. To enter this foundational training program online or live, there are three essential prerequisite courses that must be completed so you have a holistic-based education and have the necessary knowledge to prepare for your Integrated Movement Science Level 1 training, and they are all included in the special offer we have for this month of April. They are our Scientific Core Conditioning e-learning course, Scientific Back Training e-learning course, and Program Design e-learning course, all of which can be done in the comfort of your own home at your own pace. When you purchase your IMS1 prerequisite bundle in April, you will save 15%. The IMS1 prerequisites are not only essential for IMS1 students, but will enhance any health or exercise professional's mastery of assessment and correction for the core, back, and greatly enhance the effectiveness of your program design skills. These prerequisite courses are also ideal for any exercise enthusiast or athlete that wants to learn, heal, and get it right the first time. No promo code is needed. Simply go to shop.chekinstitute.com. That's shop.chekinstitute.com and get started today. My next question is, how do you define sensation? Well, without thought, that's all you have, is sensation. How do you know you're alive? How do you know you exist? You sense it. Yeah. If you don't sense it, you don't know. If you, don't, if you are unable to sense life, being alive, I'm nothing, nothing, nothing's mystical. I'm just talking raw life, yeah, physical yeah, raw uh-huh. life. Or, yeah. If you can't sense life, you don't know. You got no way of telling you're actually alive. I mean, what I mean by this is, if you've, you've had been numbed out from the from the hand in the hand, you can look at your hand, but if you can't feel your hand, you have no indication as to whether it's alive or not. So it has to be a, a fully bodily experience to actually know that you exist. Yeah. Just Mm -hmm. to start with. And feeling, and again, when I use feeling or sensation, they're right on the cusp of one another, you know. Um, But feeling, without feeling, we can't know ourselves. We can't know we exist. 
And I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm taking it a bit far, but I'll, I'll, you get the point. I'm, I'm, we can't know. I think it's true. I mean, yeah. how do we know we exist if we can't feel anything? Right. I mean, D- Descartes, Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. But I think that's wrong because yeah, if, you, if you don't even know that you exist, then how do you even know you're thinking? Yes. And how did the, and not when also most importantly whether your thoughts are your own and what I mean right. by this is those thoughts do not originate as a sensation felt and known in your own body then how do you know how those thoughts became your thoughts and this is a very 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 important thing where I talk about um, not having a having a, a terrible problem in our world today and probably forever actually that I know of, the part that I know of and is that when we are um, disconnected from our bodies we are establishing establishing um, susceptibility to coming under influence whereas yes. when we are connected to our body and really go with the feelings first, which are mine. They're the only thing that is mine. <laughs> and after that, it becomes distorted by thoughts and ideas. Even if, even if it's a good distortion, it's still distorted. So when I, whenever I know is what's going on and where I'm coming from, how do I know that these thoughts are mine? I have to feel them as they exist and then develop into thoughts and so on within me. And this is very, very important because this makes the people, um, the people in general, um, very, very susceptible to influence in the numbed out state that people generally exist in and getting worse, as you know, because of, you know, the, the, the attachment to the computer. And so there uh-huh. is no, yeah, and it's, it's a very serious situation. And so it gets to a point where you just don't know what you think and you have a computer or whatever or 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 maybe a religious person or whatever telling you what thoughts to think but they are not your thoughts and you have no understanding of those thoughts you have a belief system that may create a sensation in you of feeling like they're your thoughts <laughs> you know but well they are usually not your fear thoughts. yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, usually fear. But even those sensations, when you think about something in a repetitive way, it starts to become so much a part of you that you never really established where did it begin. And yet you are completely convinced that it is true and that these are my thoughts. And that's where you get brainwashed. Yeah, Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. And when you have sensation uh, guiding you, you not you you have a guiding force not based on laws not based on morals not based on anything other than the animal that you are and that's not a, that's a really basic animal that goes i don't want that that's that feels dangerous i don't want that that feels harmful to me oh that's okay i like you know this feels harmless and this feels good and this is why i find sensation also very very important because Without sensation, you have no guidance to doing no harm. You will never achieve, I don't think, you really never really achieve the, uh, the state of doing no harm unless you feel the depth of harm coming out of you that makes it difficult for you to do that harm, if that makes sense. So if I'm, right. I'm, go- if I'm going to do that sort of harm, it's so disturbing inside of me, then 
I will find it difficult to do that. But if it doesn't have mm-hmm. any attachment, many, if it doesn't have any connection with me, it's just an idea and I'm quite numb and I'm quite detached from that action, then I can do that action of horrific harm. Yeah. Yeah, such as cutting and self, you know, yeah. torture. And self-torture, anything. Yeah, it's pretty common today. Yeah. Now, I'm going to bring something up that I think is really important to to put on the table here, uh, especially for people that are steeped in the yogic tradition and religion. And I I think this presents sort of a double-edged issue. One, it establishes why your approach is so valuable, but two, it also... Uh, I think is important to bring onto the table to help clarify some brainwashing misconceptions and things like that. Yeah. Are you familiar with Paul Brunton? No, sorry, I'm not, but that's okay. I'll okay. probably be, be familiar with his concepts. <laughs> uh, yeah, Paul Brunton was a famous yogi uh, philosopher. He wrote a series of about 14 volumes, which I have and I've studied a lot of. I think Anthony Damiana, a famous philosopher and meditation teacher, was one of his students. Now, I'm only bringing these up because these are two fairly well-known people that have written a lot, that have a lot of influence out there. But you can also find this in many, many books written for yogis, by yogis. And one of the contentions that is brought up repeatedly is that sensation is ultimately nothing but electromagnetic pulses through the nervous system. And it's just the flow of information Ah. and that it's, it's no more or less real than any other phenomenon that we engage and perceive within ourselves. And therefore the knock on effect of that is that, it results in people disconnecting from the world, which kind of goes back to the whole yogic Vedic concept that everything is Maya. It's an illusion. Yes. Don't get involved in it. So you have yogis that sit in caves and detach from the world and and let, you know, let themselves Hmm. go and, and, and try to completely get out of the world and themselves. And then you've got, Without a long expose, I think you know this very well, you've got a tremendous amount of history in Christianity, Judaism, Islam, some branches of Buddhism, and a lot of religions and many variations of Christianity are very antagonistic to the body. The body is sinful. The body is dirty, especially Mm -hmm. if you're a woman. And you've got a long history of, of mystics and saints torturing and flogging themselves and trying to get rid of the body and all, all this shit. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, see, see what, what happens and why I'm bringing this up is because what this does is it actually puts sensation in the camp of ephemeral phenomenon that are no more important to you than your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, or your sense of love, because they're all just, the universe buzzing with data and it's not something that you should buy into. You understand what I'm saying here about this idea of sensation, it's epiphenomenal origin. And the idea is don't get too involved in sensation because it's ephemeral and it's not who and what you really are, which is contradictory to 
your approach, and I'm not saying I disagree no, with no, your no. approach. I'm no. saying for, for a lot of people out there, because, you know, yoga is becoming very, very popular and, and, and a lot of these ideas. And now that people are getting scared in the world, they're reaching to these other philosophies and trying to find something that gives them a sense of either safety or a way out of the whole thing. And unfortunately, a lot of meditation these days is not used to get into and to resolve and to heal, but it's used to separate yourself from and, and disassociate or disconnect. And they give it all sorts of names that sound better to them than disassociation or disconnection. Yeah. But um, <laughs> how would how would you coach somebody who wants to use the undo app and practice your sensory based approach to healing and deeper connection with oneself when they've got all this body avoidance, illusion of sensation type programming? I, I would. Hmm, that's a really big question. I suppose we'll hit it, hit it from a few angles. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's important going. though. No, no, no. I do too. I, it's crucially important because once you are desensitized to yourself, you are in fact desensitized to everyone and everything. Yes. You, yeah, and and therefore you are capable of not caring, and that's very true. Yeah, and not caring is a dangerous thing. No matter, yes, it's a dangerous thing simply for our species, and it isn't a natural process at all to not care. And I don't mean in an emotional way. I mean in a way that we need to care in order to sustain the existence of our species. So I'm, I'm talking at a very, very basic level, but that basic level is lost when you become desensitized. But like an animal, for example, he's highly sensitive. His, 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 all his senses are key, are really on, and even his sixth sense, you know, the, the ability to process information that, you know, simply like a, a dog knowing someone's coming down the road. Um, well before he's there. These are yeah. sensations that he recognizes. Well, I can't say for sure, but I'm, I'm assuming because I'm not a dog, but I actually do think that these are simply sensations that he is obviously responding to, yeah? Mm -hmm. And therefore, it's easy to assume that it's, it actually is a sensation that he is responding to, and that is a form of knowledge, but not the form of knowledge in the sense of, words and complicate, complicated language because he's not thinking. He simply has a sense of what the feeling is. And I find every single feeling has a different sensation to it. Every single feeling has a difference. And the sensations that are there are key for understanding our life. Once we're disconnected from that, we are now in search of understanding with no way out. Because when we have no dis no connection with our body, well, we are disconnected from any f f real source of genuine information. I mean, what I mean by genuine information, information that comes from the within ourselves rather than from the outside in. And the outside in is always influential or mostly influential. So I think it's very, very important. This uh, concept of Maya, it's overthinking the whole thing in my point of in my in my view it's just overthinking the whole the whole thing and it's based on avoidance of pain it's 
flat out. I mean, I, mean, I shouldn't say that. I think it is. <laughs> my, my opinion is that it is entirely based in the avoidance of something that you are choosing to avoid and choosing to deny and choosing to separate from if, if you haven't even separated from it already. And the reason I say that is because why else would you be motivated to escape the world? <laughs> why else would you be motivated to have nothing to do with the world when that is your key, that is your, that's your blood, that's your life? And the connection with people is not, I'm talking about, not on a, 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 a it's purely on a sensory level, if, not, if nothing else, yeah? It's on a sensory level, if nothing else. So, and that, I, it doesn't really need to be much more to care to does but to care i don't mean you will do something to hurt yourself you you know you you will do something crazy uh you won't sacrifice yourself necessarily you might you might but depends on the relationship between the two people and the buddhists and so forth different yogis or especially the yogis and the buddhists they will have the the tendency to talk about detachment from feeling anything really and this in you know it's a very broad way of talking but it's you're detaching what they think they're detaching from what they suggested they're detaching from is the suffering in the world but what they don't realize <laughs> is the suffering is only caused by bias about the world because you've already been hurt but if you haven't already been hurt you don't have a bias about the world and you can embrace far more of the world far more comfortably than the guy who's been hurt. And so what is motivating detachment? It is nothing but fear. Yeah, it's very, it's just fear. Yeah. yeah? And so when you're motivated by having detachment, like, you know, okay, I'm not going to get into a relationship because the relationship doesn't last. What are you frightened of? You're frightened of the relationship ending. Well, I say, um, because I know how to resolve the pain of the relationship ending, it doesn't concern me that the relationship might earn, might, might end because I have the tools, I have the knowledge, I have the system in my body to resolve that. It, it might be hard, it might be a long time, it might be a short time, but I can resolve that. And if I can resolve that, that not, not, alone, not only resolves something for me, but it will take me deeper into accessing a, a higher quality or a deeper quality person within myself. You, I mean, we've all experienced this, I think, that when you are gone through a certain amount of pain, if you come out the other end of it healed, you become you, it, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, yeah? But yeah. what is killing you is not the pain. And this is the point. What is killing you is the reaction to the pain, the mental and emotional reaction to the pain, which the Buddhists and the Hindus and so forth don't seem to have a very good understanding of at all. And, and, and I'm saying that quite boldly, but I think it's important to be bold too when your passion's in it. And, and it's not something that I'm, I haven't really considered over the last 45 years this has been my life, yeah, and I've, I have gone quite deeply into this whole area of this, the, the very simple thing that you are suffering because you are reacting to the condition and you just think if you can just, like the guy with the cold water, if you can just drop back into your body 
you will find that your body can experience and contain and process a massive amount of pain, (laughs) a massive amount of pain. And that is only if you are not motivated by fear of, and the fear I don't find, I find does not come from, mostly it does not come because of uh, that's what the situation is about. I'm, I'm not actually frightened. I don't actually know what I'm frightened of until I get in there and into the fear, into the pain, and just feel it to its end. Now, that can be really, really tricky and really, really hard, but that's the difference between feeling and thinking. Feeling it processes it. That's also the difference between emotion. Emotion has the tendency to prolong pain, whereas feeling has the definite, not just a tendency, feeling ends it. And why? Because you've got a story there, say your grandfather died, your mum died, and you are grieving or you think you're grieving, where actually you're not really in touch with grief at all. You are just in touch with your thoughts of resistance to a fact of life. And I don't want that to sound too harsh, but you're in, you're in resistance to a fact of life that a friend or companion has died. And until you can get through that resistance, you're not feeling anything. You are just emotionalizing. Whereas once you hit that feeling of grief, pure grief, it doesn't matter that you no longer know what the grief is about because at that point of going beneath your thinking, you are no longer actually able to recognize exactly what that grief is about, who, who it's connected to. You are, you can go back into that, but because you're completely involved in the feeling itself, the pure feeling of grief, you are, you rapidly, rapidly process it. I mean, really rapidly can process it. And I'm not saying it should be fast or should be slow. It's depending on the, the, the depth of the relationship and so forth. But there's a specific difference between grieving as a reaction, which can go on forever, meaning uh, emotionalizing it, or actually getting into the feeling in your body. And that's a game where it has to, well, that's a game where it comes back to the body is because that's where you feel. That's where you feel these type of feelings and process them um, at that level, at the physical level. You don't feel any other way, actually. You don't sort of feel those sorts of feelings any other way. And so that is why I'm saying feeling to heal, as the, you know, the, the, the title of the show was, feeling to heal is not is is actually an understatement. <laughs> if you feel and truly feel and really know how to feel, that is not only the answer. Well, I found I found it's not only the answer to uh, triggering the healing process, but it's the the way to follow a healing process all the way through to its end. I'll, I'll make that more clear. When the, the the feeling a process, feeling the pain has the effect of triggering the healing process. Because when you access feeling, you access the body's wisdom. You access the body's needs and the body responds to its own needs. And that means you end up doing exactly what you need without, not not necessarily intentionally, yeah, but you, you're allowing the body to get on with how it knows how to take care of itself. And this body's been around for millions of years and it knows a lot more than the thought process does, you know, in, in the sense of how to take care of itself. We, I don't think we should be taking uh, much notice of anything else, although we've got to get there, other than what our 
body is showing us and telling us, and this is what I really will begin to go into in the next questions, I'm sure, in how to listen to your body. And this is the primary step and really the final step, (laughs) which is making it very, very simple. Live with your feelings. Don't avoid them. Don't clash with, don't, don't react to them. But for that to happen, I'm not saying you won't react, but gradually work through those reactions just by simply coming back to the feeling. Oh, I'm, I'm reacting again. Just come back to the feeling. That's really all you need to know is that if you just keep coming back to the feeling that you're struggling to feel because it's so distressful or painful, if you keep coming back to that feeling, you'll get there. You'll get there. You'll, you'll take steps that's taking steps to repeat feeling repeat feeling repeat feeling and in doing that it'll it'll prolong and access the healing um, qualities of the body and trigger it into stimulation and resolution yeah you know a thought that i wanted to share i just didn't want to interrupt you is arthur m young in, in his book the reflexive universe addresses this whole issue of maya and, he, and to save well, yeah. a long preparatory dialogue what what he ultimately says is the people that think maya means illusion and cop out from the world or ignore the world or disassociate from the world are making the mistake that they don't realize that the word maya means the illusion in other words there there is nothing else there's nowhere (laughs) else to go there's nowhere else to be right so you you can't escape the illusion (laughs) It's what is necessary for us to have the experience of a self is this illusion without all the necessary metaphysical pre-steps because I don't want to sidetrack us. I just want to make the point that people need to remember that if you think Maya means illusion, remember it's the illusion and everything that you're talking about is important or you never really fully engage the illusion that's yeah. here so that we can have the experience of love relationship and self-realization and with that too i i think if i a small point is that there's the illusions that we create by misrepresent by misunderstanding something yeah an assumption for example and that assumption can lead to or a, a, a catastrophe, you know? And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it can, yeah? So there's the Like the World that, Economic Forum. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, another, another time. <laughs> but it can, it can or maybe another day. Um, but if we go, uh, if I, if it, to help, help people make real simplicity of this, and I, I mean, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, I'm not saying, but I want to help people perhaps make real simplicity of this. You are in the illusion, the most powerful, really the only power that thought has is to confuse us between what is real and what is not real. I'm putting it that way. And because it, it, it has the power to confuse us, to make us believe shit that doesn't really exist, to make us believe in things that are just paranoias and so on, yeah? And yeah. those paranoias cause torture. And once you see the paranoia drop away, then you realise there was nothing there and that was the illusion, <laughs> yeah? It, yeah. It, it, it's yeah. Not, 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 it's a, a bit of a leap sometimes to go, you know, the whole world's an illusion, the whole existence is an illusion. I'm not saying against that but i'm just sort of seeing where 
I can help sort of like, I don't know, take baby, baby steps or take slow steps to go, well, I think people can accept this and because it's terribly logical. And that is that you can create an illusion out of anything where, where there is a reality to it when you see it for what it is. In other words, I'm trying to say there are facts. Yeah, those facts yeah. are interchangeable, but there are facts. And until your thought process is out of the way, your reactionary thought process is out of the way, you're going to have a hard time getting to the facts. And the reason that is, is because the reason you avoid the facts is because simply you don't like them. You don't want them to be that way. Yeah. And so, yeah, you, yeah you simply don't want to know about them. But if you avoid those facts, you are not going to resolve the problem of that fact you know you're not going to develop if you have to or you're not going to get more intelligence or you're not going to un- unravel an illusion that way you have to get into these things and and look at them for what they are as opposed to what you think they are yeah and that means you you how do you do that you come back to this is one way of doing it <laughs> how, how do you do that is you come back to Starting rather than the thought process outside in, because from the point of view of sensation, the thought process is on the outside, and so it's it's a secondary phase in the from from the sensation. So on from the point of view of sensation, thoughts are very superficial. But from the point of view of if you if you flip that over rather than from the outside in, and you start to listen to yourself from the inside out, then you have a chance of just following the sensations and they will guide you into and out of uh, an illusion. Now, even as much as I've been, a person's had a sexual abuser in their life and they can't understand sex anymore because of what memories and so on it brings up for them, that once they go through this process of facing the actual distortions of their feelings and the distortions of their life then once that gradually heals and it gets easier and easier and easier it's a bloody hard one to start with yeah but once that actually heals you now return to and i'm not saying theoretically by the way i've healed many people like this i'm don't really yeah yeah um is that you 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 return to the state, the natural state of being able to enjoy sex, but mainly, more importantly, having no disturbance with it. Yeah. yeah. You can enjoy sex, but having no disturbance with it. And so this is you can return to your natural state, your natural heal state by the process of healing through sensations, which you can't do. I don't think you can do it all through the outside-in process of the analytical thought process and psychology and so forth. Um, it's too shallow, yeah, and it, it's you need depth. If you're going to heal pain, real pain, you need to feel the pain and therefore you come up against your biases and your dis- mis- uh, distortions around that event or around that concept or around that idea um, or just around that event that'll do you come up with that concept the um the biases very serious biases around that event that seem very very real and they are very very disturbing but once you process it at a feeling level every time you come into contact with that feeling 
what happens, and I mean purely feeling, what happens is it, it, it gets lesser and lesser and lesser. Why? Because you come into contact with a horrific feeling only on the feeling level and not on the action level. Yeah, on the feeling level, even on the action level, but I mainly, I'll keep it simpler. And you find that, oh, you realize, oh, that wasn't so bad. That didn't hurt me. And you go back there again and you go back there again. And that gradually negates, uh, how should I say, gradually disproves your bias against the fact that it does, didn't hurt you. And as that process uh, resolves itself, because it really is a resolving of itself, as that process of healing um, happens, which is the healing process of negation of a confusion or a disruption in your life, and the, which which brings with it a horrific pain, yeah, horrific terror, mm-hmm. horrific you know f- fear. But that fear, you gradually learn, are uh, that fear through experiential um, processing, you learn that that fear. And not intellectually, but experientially, you learn that that fear has done you no harm. Uh, that fear led to no harm, and so you start to find reasons to not be frightened. Not not so much reasons. No, you start to simply not be frightened. And as that healing process goes, you find the natural return to our natural state is also a gravitational pull because everybody wants to be healthy. If people can't have sex, they want to have sex. You know, if they're too yeah. too damaged to have sex, they will be wanting to have sex, So you've all, but they can't. So they still desire it, but they can't. It's too disturbing for them. But once you feel that gravitational pull, and that's you don't need to understand it that way, but I'm talking a little bit theory, a little bit heady here, but... You, you, you get that gravitational pull and in combined with you getting less fear and less fear and it gets easier and easier and easier to go back to your natural state and to eventually heal yourself completely. Yes. Hi, everybody. I hope you're enjoying the show. I imagine you know that magnesium is one of the minerals that people in North America are the most efficient in, but it's an extremely important mineral to have in your diet regularly. And believe it or not, Bioptimizers has improved what was already well known to be the best magnesium formula out there called Magnesium Breakthrough. So I've got Wade Lightheart with me to explain what it is they've done to improve this already excellent formula. Wade, what is new about your new Mag Breakthrough formula? Well, it's called sucrosomial magnesium. So we have seven different types of magnesium in Magnesium Breakthrough because they're uptaken by different parts of the body. But a new type of magnesium has been created called sucrosomial. And what it shows in the research and science is that it's actually even more absorbable by the body, particularly inside of the brain, which is a big aspect uh, to enhance neurotransmitter formation, as well as ensuring the rest and relax response in the nervous system that a lot of people will take magnesium for. They find it, you know, clocks them down, helps them sleep better, allows for the relaxation of striated and smooth muscle tissue in the body, which creates an energetic relief. And so when we added sucrosomial, we were able to demonstrate inside our lab facility that we were able to get better improvements. Of course, we have a partnership with the Birch International University. We have some patents we're working on, uh, which will kind of relay some of these things. But sucrosomial was a no-brainer when we added to the formula, improved the results or improved the uptake. And the reports back from our testing team were like, wow, this 
we get more results with less caps. And that's always the goal for our company. That's excellent. I love it. I, I always say, and people have probably heard me say it before, I just am so amazed how you guys are constantly and always improving and working your best to not only make better products for us, but it doesn't seem to me that it gets more expensive as you make them better. So that's a real gift to the world. Thank you. Where can people get their new magnesium breakthrough formula? All they need to do is go to www.magbreakthrough.com slash living4d. Put in Paul 10, get 10% discount on your first bottle. And of course, if you order multiple bottles, you can get an extensive discount on that as well. And like everything else, we sell 365 day money back guarantee. If this isn't the best magnesium you've ever taken in your life, we demand that you tell us and we can give you your money back. But I think you're probably going to demand, hey, can I get more of this? <laughs> that, that's probably more the truth. So that's mag, M-A-G, breakthrough.com forward slash living number four. And then the letter D code Paul 10. Enjoy deeper relaxation and better nutrition with mag breakthrough. Now, if you did this, forgive me for asking, but could you describe what you define emotion is as in a, in a simple statement? Yeah, and that's very helpful because terminologies, uh, I want them to be crisp and clear. And regardless of what your audience interpret as emotion, I might not be using the word in the same way. So please just go along with my interpretation for the sake of communication, not saying exactly. that your interpretation is wrong. It's just a word and words are clumsy things a lot of the time. Yeah. So let's just do that. Um, so the primary uh, problem with emotion is that they prolong suffering by the attachment of reactionary thoughts to the event that you are worried about, you know. So if you, you become emotional, you become attached not just with a feeling but with uh, the thought process that drives, keeps driving that feeling, yeah. And that also distorts that feeling beyond what it would be um, when, if you weren't actually thinking those thoughts. If you weren't involved in the thought process and the feelings at the same time, you would find that the feeling without the thought process is actually quite different and much easier to deal with and much more natural state to deal with. So I'm talking about th thoughts conversion with the feeling distorts the feeling to match up to a certain degree with the thoughts. And so if you've got complaints about your friend dying, that will add to um, the, the complaint will add in, oh, I'm, I'm unhappy, I'm frightened, I'm uh, distressed. Whereas if you were just feeling the feelings, they would not be a feeling of unhappiness or distress. You would find that you would simply feel the sense of loss, the feeling of an ending. And so just the sense of loss and the feeling of an ending in your life is very powerful, but no more, nowhere near as complex as the emotional state of the thought process jumping on board with it all, with it, with its massive story, um, tends to make that problem, to make that into a problem. So we have the thought process with the feelings and we have the thought process 
Oh, sorry, and we have the feelings without the thought process. When you have the feelings without the thought process, what do you have? Essentially, you have um, sensations of the body, yeah, the, feel, the felt sense in the body. And when you have the felt sense in the body and there's no story to keep it going, it gradually dissipates as all feeling does. Um, whereas have you got if you've got the story to keep it going, you prolong it unnecessarily and unnaturally uh, beyond its natural duration. Yeah. So this is a very important point. You can heal yourself, but if you get caught in the reaction to the feeling, you could be there for a lifetime. It's a serious thing, yeah, depending on the feeling. So the, that's clear, I think. The feeling is the thing that we aim for, aiming to heal. And how you do that is when you, we're aiming to feel the feeling without the reaction. And when you do that, that just means you will react sometimes, but you simply come back to the feeling within the reaction. Because even there's a type of feeling or sensation within the reaction and that dissipates quite quickly and leaving you um, with the pure sensation of loss or grief when we're talking about grief or an ending. And this, so it's, it's a li little bit complex but not that complex and particularly when you do it um, for yourself, it's not that complex but it is very, um, uh, how should I say, it's very you're very susceptible when you're suffering to wanting to wallow in that suffering and i don't mean that as a you know bad thing it's bloody hard not to but if you once you do and you get the hang of just feeling you'll find i for example um if i'm in a distressed state i just feel the distress and it dissipates yeah in time yeah. and doesn't leave. And so that is a simple way. Once the feeling of distress dissipates, then I'm thinking more clearly and I'm not driven by the same agitations. Okay, so I understand everything you're saying, but unfortunately we did not get a concise definition of an emotion. So I'm going to help okay. you and say I define emotion as a flow of energy and information. Ultimately, to me, emotions aren't right or wrong. They are flows of energy and information that are telling you something at a visceral level about what you're experiencing. And the, the challenge is, is that you're interspersing three words. You're using feeling, emotion, and sensation almost interchangeably. So what I want to try to get clear is what is an emotion? How is that different from a feeling? And then I want to tie that in with how does that relate to values? Um, and the reason I'm doing this in particular is because in Jung's descriptions of consciousness, he describes consciousness as having four functions, thinking, feeling, sensation, and intuition. But Jung makes the clear distinction that feeling and emotions are related but different. So Feeling Jung ties to one's values and states that one's emotions are almost always expressions of one's unconscious or conscious values. So the analogy I give to make that distinction is if you're in the United States and you're standing in line at a grocery store and you've been standing there for 10 minutes and someone cuts in front of you right when it's your turn, you're going to have emotions 
those are going to be based on your feelings because your cultural value is it, you take your turn in the order that you are in line. But if you're from China, it's first come, first serve. And so you see them rushing each other to get onto trains and into lines, but they don't have the same values. Therefore, their emotional reaction to someone cutting them off is different than ours. So I think these are very, very important distinctions because most people's minds tie values, sensations, feelings, and emotions in together, but they don't really have any clear distinction of what each one of those means, which leads to a lot of confusion when we're listening to a guy like you who's making very clear statements about emotions or about thoughts. So yeah. step one, what is an emotion? An emotion is a thought-charged feeling. Okay. So it what is a feeling? feeling. An emotion, a, a feeling is an unbiased, what I'm talking about, yeah? The feeling is a physical sensation, but only a physical sensation, not the thought process. But it's the thought process that has been caught in your body as memory yeah as well so it's not no longer a complex thought process it's just the sensation of that information yeah so the sensation of that information um, will emerge erupt with that with what we're calling feeling here yeah so when you have and so when you have this is not a conscious if you like um, thought. This is not a conscious cognitive thought process. Oh, you bastard! You jumped in <laughs> line, yeah. But it is more of a habitual, unknown ignorance about ourselves and what is driving us. But not why is it ignorance? Why is there an ignorance about ourselves of what's driving us? Is because we have lost touch um, with our sensations, our feelings to such a degree that we don't know what's behind them. So I'll, I'll make that more as, as clear again. A thought, a thought process drives emotions cognitively. It also, because of the effect it builds in the body over time of, of the tensions and the way your body distorts and tensions build up in your body, um, car carrying the uh, tension created by the conflict that we're having due to a, a belief system, you know, that oh, I'm American and this is how it should be, um, or, you know, that belief system has a very harmful effect, actually a harmful effect, I say very, um, on the fact that you have these eruptions of sensations slash feelings or right, I'll make it more simple. You have this eruption of feelings that encapsulate a, a, a an additional sensation, but not known as a cognitive thought process. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I don't agree with Jung about a subconscious and conscious mind. I don't agree with that at all. And the reason I say I don't agree with that at all is because the and that's okay i don't you know we can all disagree <laughs> but um the the reason i say that is because we can be affected um by suppression of uh an event and we can suppress the cognitive memory but we will never suppress <laughs> the felt memory and that's something that's been overlooked by your 
that I, he does not take into account that feeling, the way it makes you feel. Well, I don't think he does. I'm not really a student of Jung, so sorry, Jung, if I'm stuffing this up for you. Yeah, but the thing is, um, I'm I'm putting ahead here a, a concept of you are not necessarily uh, uh, over an event just because you've suppressed it. We all know that. Yeah, mm-hmm. but how does it continue and continue in a known state? <laughs> so therefore, the bringing in the fallacy of the unconscious. How it's never unconscious. It's just felt rather than thought about. But it's never unconscious. It affects you from, well, this is what I think, or I found, is that it affects the way you are from that day on. If you've been traumatized, it changes you as a person. Yeah. And it changes the way it feels to be you, all happening within the tensions and so forth in your body. And that changes the way it feels to be you, changes the way you act, changes the way you talk, changes the things you do. So then the, in that sense, I don't, I have a very different explanation. Yeah. So that is that you don't have a subconscious and a conscious mind. What you do have is no mind at all. It's just sensations in the body at this level. It's just sensations in the body. As I said before, what is the mind? It's the thought process. But when it gets deeper than that, you are now talking about a disturbance caused in your body by the process of incorrect thinking, but it's no longer a thought process. It's now dropped down into a vibrationary process, but it still hurts. It still feels sad or whatever, but it's dropped down into a vibrationary process. And the time that you actually are fully relieved of that vibrationary process may not be due to recollection of the cognitive memory, and it's not necessary. As long as you are feeling the sensations of distress through to their end, you are healing yourself. So you don't necessarily have to recall it to a cognitive level, although you can, yeah? Regression therapies and all sorts of things will prove that. Yeah, simple things. So you can, you can, you can recall, recall that back into a thought process. But for the time being, it is at a, let as a, as a sensation, it is still there in, but only and in the feeling of that particular sensation that you are resolving, um, if you like, the effects of life through. And then what do you have then is pure sensation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Your your conception is not much different from Jung's at all. Oh, good. I didn't know. <laughs> all right. Basically, in, in a very in briefly encapsulated definition, Jung describes the unconscious as any process that is real and capable of affecting you that you're just not cognitively aware of. So There you go. There you go. Oh, if, you, yeah. if you had a sexual trauma, you can be walking around with no conscious memory of it at all. In fact, many yes. people don't even realize they've had a sexual trauma until they start having sex, and all of a sudden they have these wild reactions, and they don't even know why it's happening. Yeah. So Jung describes the unconscious as all the emotions, thoughts, feelings, and sensations that 
for the ego's sense of survivability have been pushed below the level of conscious awareness. But Jung makes it very clear. He says, until you meet the unconscious on the inside, it will meet you on the outside in the events of your life and you will call it fate. Yeah. So yeah. he's saying what you're saying. He's saying exactly. you can't really feel until you come inside, yeah. get rid of the mind and engage what's acting at the level below the normal ego awareness, which is very, very limited and superficial. Yes. So paradoxically, your definition of the non-unconscious is the same as what Jung calls the unconscious. Yes. <laughs> One of the things I want to clear up, though, is because there's still fuzz for me here. How do you see? Because a lot of what you're describing, which I agree with, with regard to feelings and emotions, link back to the body. And the body is, is inherently driven by instincts. And most of the bodies want to be healthy. It's want to feed, to water, to sleep, to move, to breathe. Jung even describes creativity and love as instincts of the body are based on the inherent instincts of the body to thrive and to survive. So I'm curious, how does you, how do you link emotions, feelings, or sensations to the instincts of the body? And where does one's values ultimately play out in their perception of a thought, a feeling, or an emotion, because that is a very distinct thing. And that's why I gave the analogy with regard to the line situation, because yeah. most people's values are unconscious. They don't even know what they are until all of a yes. sudden they, they can't find food or they are being uh, told they have to get vaccinated against their will. And all of a sudden, not only do yeah. their instincts kick in, but their values kick in. And all of a sudden they become conscious that they really are interested in sovereignty and freedom, but before that they, they didn't even think about it. So just to summarize, how does instincts relate to emotions and feelings and how do emotions, feelings, sensations, and values link together? So whichever way you want to go at that. Okay. This may still be fuzzy, but let's see. <laughs> um, well, I'll, I'll help you. <laughs> you help me. Yeah, you're doing a great job. <laughs> I just think, you know, these are such, these things are not discussed. And so what happens is if, if these things aren't looked at, people okay. make huge assumptions. Oh, and, massive. you know, yeah. if, you, if, you don't, if you don't look at what an, an instinct is, but you're talking about the body and feelings, then we're leaving out the etiology of why those feelings are there in the first place, because your instincts is your body's will to survive and to thrive. And when you leave an animal to its own devices, you'll see an animal after a traumatic experience will shake it off. They'll, and they'll yeah. try to dump that extra energy off because it's an instinct to them to let go of that pain and emotion because it ultimately isn't going to help them survive after yes. the event. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because there's also the animal, the little octopus that when he got bitten by, you know, the, I don't know if you saw that, the something of that movie or that, that yeah, uh -huh. um, about the octopus and he got a chunk yeah. of his leg bitten off. And so, and he had a one-year one, li a one -year lifespan. And so what the octopus did 
was he went into a quiet state and sat still for many months and grew the leg back. So it depends on the animal, yeah? Um, so the, the many animals, I have kangaroos, you know, being an Australian. We have kangaroos beat the hell out of each other on for fights and then they'll go and repair by doing nothing for a week um, right. or whatever it takes. And this is this is the a response to to me. This is a response to when I'm in pain, rather than experiencing. I'm going to fix this pain. I'm going to um, react to this pain. I'm going to do something about it, which I think people do far too quickly, and they just end up suppressing so much. Is to allow the body to heal itself of any condition. And if you allow the body to heal itself of any condition, which I can, abs- I, I, I'm a living example of that. I, I mean it. So it's not, so I'm not saying that that's what I do. <laughs> and how I do that is, is by, cause I don't, I wouldn't use doctors. I don't agree with their approach to pain. I don't agree with their approach to illness because they see it as something to get rid of. Like you're saying about the animals shaking off, but. It, it, it's not something I've learned. It's not something to get rid of. It's a guidance in our life. It's it's showing us our. It's an evolution, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that is a very important thing. But when you don't have the uh, sensitivity of uh, and the allowance and the react and the understanding of pain to not be frightened of it, then you react. When you when you don't react, you you. And what I mean by react, then you have a thought process. Yeah. If you don't react, you go very calm and very quiet and you allow that, um, you allow that process to heal. And this can be instinctual, but it's also, I don't want to underestimate the intelligence of an animal. And I mean, the natural intelligence of an animal is, um, not, you know, it, they're smarter than us, maybe, you know, <laughs> because yeah, not always, yeah. Yeah, you know, like, and, and the main thing I find is that they don't fight life because they don't have a choice, yeah, most cases. And so because they don't have a choice, they can go ahead and lay down and do exactly what their body needs them to do and recover of its own accord. You know, the animal, you know, we have the animal in us. We have a reptilian yep. brain. We have a mammalian brain and we have a neocortical brain. If you, I don't know if you've studied Paul McLean's research on the triune brain, but now they say there's a fourth brain, the prefrontal lobe. But the point is all that is in nature is inside of us. We are, you know, the tip of the evolutionary sword, at least in this dimension on earth. And so the, I think the difference between the animal, the animal shakes it off because it's a natural instinct to, to live. Mm. shall we say, reset to the survive. circuits of the body. You know, and I've used that technique myself. Yeah. Um, but the the difference is is that the animal's not clouded with this many many layers of intellect and should and yes. shouldn't and right and wrong and this means that and that means that nobody loves me. So the animal's driven by its instincts to heal, thrive, and survive because it is actually not in the conscious mind where you debate an instinct, right? No animal debates, debates whether or not it's thirsty or hungry or tired or or it's ready to procreate because it's instinctual. But we we screw all those up. We don't drink when we're thirsty. We procreate when we're broke and the environment's 
completely antagonistic to having children. I mean, you know how it goes, because that's really what your whole approach is, is trying to get below that gray matter that keeps causing us all these problems called the cerebral cortex, which, you know, it can do miracles. It can build beautiful things, but it also starts wars and it also uses the same things that help people to kill people like vaccinations. So that, that cerebral cortex is, is a, is a, is something that I don't, I don't think we can use our cerebral cortex effectively if we don't have the kind of training that you offer, because if we don't come from our core self, then we start identifying ourselves with this intellectual process, exactly. which negates the, the the sensation because in Jung's model, and I've tested this thoroughly, if you're thinking, you're inhibiting or blocking sensation. Yes. Because those two are antagonists, just like intuition and sensation are antagonists. If you're paying attention to the uh, bug crawling on your skin, you're not open to the intuitive insight because you're linked into your sensations. If you're feeling and you're thinking, then you're not feeling, you're thinking. So one of the things that Jung teaches is that in order to achieve our whole self, we have to learn to use thinking, feeling, sensation, and intuition in concert with each other, which takes awareness or you don't, because if you don't know what thinking is, what feeling is, what sensation is, or what intuition is, you have no way to know when you're getting caught into the alley, let's call it, of the intellectual mind, which is where the, the mostly the, you know, the Western ego, and now unfortunately most of the world, because we've westernized the whole world, is trapped in its head. And that's what I call externalization of the self. But what you're really teaching from what I've experienced and what I conceive is you're saying the self comes from within. So if you're out here, you've lost yourself. Yes, you've lost you can't yourself. Heal if, you can't heal if you're out there because your healing's got to happen in here. In here, yeah, yeah. Hello, everybody. I'm sure you're all aware of the importance of heart health and the challenges that people are having with their hearts worldwide due to what's been going on in the world in the last three years. Well, Symbiotica's brand new product, heart health, may be just the solution we need. Heart health is something that we all need and may be one of the most important supplements that anyone that's been vaccinated in the past three years can take. Heart health improves cardiovascular health, balances cholesterol levels over time, supports circulation, and healthy aging. Symbiotica's heart health also aids the digestive system, improves liver function, and reduces risk of heart attack. Symbiotica's new heart health formula is enhanced with CoQ10, a powerful antioxidant that may reduce the negative effects of oxidative stress. If you want to support your heart now, Symbiotica's heart health is a great idea. To get your heart health, go to bit.ly, that's bit.ly forward slash C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A-L-4-D. That's bit.ly, L-Y forward slash symbiotica L-4-D. It's not case sensitive. To get your Living 4D discount of 15%, use the promo code capital L, capital 4, capital D, 15 on checkout. Once again, that's bit.ly forward slash symbiotica L4D. 15% off by using the code capital L, number 4, capital D, 15 on checkout. Enjoy heart health with Symbiotica. It is important to... I, I, I deviate from 
um, many other concepts that have been established because my experience has been a one of all these things functioning in unison at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. So the reason being, and this is, I'm not saying this is my experience that can't be passed on. It definitely can. Yeah. It definitely mm-hmm. can. I can help people do this. The main problem is, um, is the identification with an idea, um, with a, with a feeling, um, with a pain, uh, the identification with a concept and then forming an identity based on that. So if we're not forming um, identities um, out of everything we grab hold of, then what are we doing? We're allowing thinking to happen and we're also allowing thinking to change and we're also not grabbing hold of the idea we had yesterday. Um, if, it pre- if it reproves itself to be correct today, then we'll go along with it again today. But we're not, we're not um, basing it on a... Uh, a self-consciousness. So self-consciousness is a problem to me because it isolates you into a self, whereas you're not a self. You are a conglomerate of all these different things. I'm a physical body. I'm all these things, but there's no way for me to actually experience that I'm all these things when I'm just being these things. And I don't want that to sound mystical. What I'm going to say is if you think of it, say you you know about meridians, you know about chakras, you know about whatever, you know, but this is not a, a something, it's just something to be understood, but as soon as you bring that into, um, uh, you may have a slightly different experience, but I'm going to go ahead anyway, You as soon as you bring that into a, um, a conceptualised outside in approach whereas I've learnt about this and therefore I'm going to focus on developing this or I'm going to focus on developing that. Um, once you're doing that, you can't be sure of what you've done with yourself, what you've created in yourself um, because it is imposing an idea and it's a very powerful thing. When you're doing an outside in approach, you're oppose, imposing an idea on the experience of being you and inevitably, um, that idea will have some effect of creating a self. Whereas from the inside out approach, everything is happening together. So whatever is happening, we don't, I don't know that I've got a meridian running down here. I don't know that I've got a chakra over here. I don't know. I don't know this. This is outside in stuff. All I know is I am everything that I am. And I, it's just pretty much all the same. <laughs> yeah. If you think about just experiencing yourself as you are without the thought process and analyzing and, um, identifying with a particular theme or a particular concept, you don't know that concept is there. <laughs> yeah. You, you don't actually yeah. know it's there. And that, that's pretty good going. <laughs> and so that's really good going that. So you don't know that. Um, that concept is there and you don't care about it, to be honest. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. what you do know is you're operating as a whole individual and it's taking that individual is taking, um, very good care of itself. And even if it is having difficulty, it will warn you 
by stress, by pain, by sickness or whatever, and that takes care of itself. That's taking care of itself. So it's at no point in our process of living are we ever really out to harm ourselves um, intentionally, yeah? Um, I mean, mm-hmm. people do from the outside in because they no longer have a sensational a sensational experience of themselves. Yeah, they don't. They're numb, in other words. Or they become overly encapsulated in their idea of themselves, which yes. is also an external construct, right? Beautiful. Exactly. And that's why in the very beginning, I talked about the danger of the um, ideas about the body being dirty and about yogis and it's all yes. sensation and all that stuff. So, you know, my, my comment about chakras and meridians and all that is just, you, you know, you're sharing your experience. I'll share mine. Mine is I, whenever I'm studying anything like that, my first question is, can I find that in myself? So when I start reading about chakras and meridians and nadis and I go into meditation, empty myself, use my clairvoyance and look through myself and say, okay, do I see these lines called meridians? And is there energy moving through them? Do I see these vortexes called chakras? And what's happening when I put my consciousness in that spot once I can see it, right? Now, not everybody's clairvoyant, but my only point is, is that one of the problems we have that leads to the need for what you're teaching, and I agree that most of the ideas people have are actually stopping them from the felt experience of being themselves, yeah. is that they just read a book and believe it. Yeah. So yeah. What, what I do is I say, okay, there's a lot of stuff I read in books, but I can't find it in myself. In myself. Yeah. And since I am a recapitulation of the universe, I am a microcosm of the macrocosm we all are. If it exists out there, it has to exist in here if it's real or it's not, it's just a mental construct. Yeah. So the, the key thing I think that's missing in, in a lot of the Western people's minds and a lot of people's period is, is because we've so steeped ourselves in the idea that knowledge is power and that you got to learn Shit. this and you got to learn that and you got to pass tests and you got to sound cool in conversations <laughs> or whatever's hip. Then what happens is we start memorizing things without evaluating to see if they're real, but then we make believe that they're real and don't realize that we're making believe because everybody else is doing it. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. what you get really is like a cult following that gets lost together, ends up in pain and in confused and ultimately has to find someone like you to say, forget about all that shit and get back to what you know for sure. And that's that you have a body, it's your home, and exactly. you know it's real, and you can start right there. Start right and there. I, I, yeah. that's, that's what I thought was most attractive about your approach. And that's why I wanted to talk to you about it, because I think, you know, the term I use, I say to many, oftentimes to my students, sometimes to my patients, depending on who they are, but I, I, when my students start, you know, rattling off like this chakra, that chakra, this, this, that, that, this book, that book, I just go like this. And I say, you know what that means? It's called mental masturbation. Yeah. You're head fucking yourself right out of actually paying attention to what's really important. Yes. And so I think we've, we've gotten so used to all this mental masturbation and with all the psyops going on and all the social media, people are now so caught in this realm of ideas that they're not actually able to tell what's true and they're so numb because there's such a flow of all this shit happening yep 
you know, Robert O. Becker, who wrote the book, The Body Electric, stated that at the time of the book writing was 1990 something, but other experts have confirmed this. The average human being today processes more information in 24 hours than a human being did in 1900 and prior in their entire lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got more of this information stuff, ideas running through our nervous system every 24 hours than a person in 1900 or earlier had in their entire lifetime. So you can see how that leads people to numbness. And then you go to get it a degree in medicine or a degree in physiology and you yeah. got to memorize all this shit. You don't even know if it's true. You have, there's no way you can yeah. validate that much information. <laughs> no. So what happens is almost the, the smarter we get, the more we traumatize ourselves because we're constantly trying to be the expression of the ideas that fit the letters behind our name in order to establish ourselves as something legitimate. Yet here we have a paradox that most people that teach health and who are our doctors and therapists are, are as sick or sicker than the people they're trying to help because they haven't actually authenticated it from their own inner experience. Yeah. And what makes this so hard to do, and I'm going to, you know, and, and we're going to get into this, what makes this so hard to do is that most people have become so detached from their bodies and their instincts and their, what I would call the authentic self. Yes. That they can't, they don't have a way to, to check on anything. So they actually just live in this tide of socially constructed belief systems, ideas, concepts, labels, white, black, Christian, Muslim, uh, male, female, my God, that's even up <laughs> for grabs now. And so they, yeah. so, so, so they actually, they actually aren't paradoxically ever really living a life. They're living ideas that often go against what life really is. So, you know, to, to bring this kind of into back into some grounding with you, Let's now start where I originally intended to start, but I must say I'm extremely glad that I went through this with you. Oh, yeah, me too. Because this has, this has established the foundation of understanding and it's given credence to the fact that what most people think of as themselves is really just a manufactured illusion that's been programmed into them by a myriad of other people. Yes. And so they never really get to know who they are. Yeah. And we've already established that, yes, sensations are phenomenon. But if you connect to yourself, they're your phenomenon. And most of them, as I've stated, are related to instincts, which are survival drives that are there to help you become whole and to live, whether you be an animal or a human being, we still need to be whole and to live or we're always missing out on what we came here to experience. So how did you first discover the body-mind connection back in the early 80s when you were going through your own process? And, and you know, I, I don't think people realize that you were a monk yourself. So maybe you can lay the foundation for what ultimately led you to the realizations, which then led you to doing many, many, many um, meditation retreats and exploration and testing of what works and what doesn't work and ultimately led to undo as your technique or your approach yeah 
So I was about 18. Oh, actually, I might start a little earlier. I was about 14. And my to give you the foundation of my simplicity of my history um, and, uh, and to have a story. <laughs> um, <laughs> we need that. <laughs> we need that. And it's always good to lighten things up a bit. Um, yeah. Not that I'm, I'm enjoying, I'm not, in, I'm not, I'm very much enjoying, very much enjoying our conversation. Well, I uh, think it's um, important. Ah, very much so. It's, and I really appreciate your, uh, just right now, I really do appreciate your, your the, the, the way in which you've approached this. You really are very, very skillful. Um, at bringing this whole thing together. And that was not even getting to the beginning now. And now we're getting to the beginning. And that's what you understood needs, needs the, um, so your followers or your not followers, your, the people, your need support in establishing a grounding in the framework in which I'm actually coming from. Because that's it, what I was trying to establish. And you were doing it. Yeah. And you, I, I think you did it. As well as we can for now, and a lot better than I've ever done. And so, what we have is when I was about 14, 15, I was, um, I left home fairly young. And I, I, in my early childhood, um, 10 years up, I, I began breaking in horses for a living. Um, oh, and- yeah, yeah, right. I remember that. That's great. Yeah, so that's cool. And so, so you was, started off with a high need for bodily awareness. Yeah, <laughs> two bodies. I used to ride. I used to ride in the rodeo, so I know exactly what. It oh, means do you? I'm glad you right. Yeah. I did too. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh wow. Oh my god. Yeah. I don't believe it. But anyway, we anyway. <laughs> I did too. So the thing, uh, the thing that happened was. For I was a shearer, a shearing, a shearer of sheep. I don't know if you're common uh-huh. over in there. Um, I grew and, up on a sheep farm. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Okay, so okay, so I grew up on a. I didn't grow up. I grew up in the city, and then eventually, I my parents moved to the country, and then I went off and did my own thing at about age of fifteen, fourteen, and that was I already have establishing the skills of a shearer and a horse breaker. So I do horse breaking in one season and a shearer in the other season. And I was quite, um, I don't know, I was quite um, into my exploration of my uh, body in a way of let me understand the nature of pain because if I don't understand the nature of pain, this shit is going to kill me. So I'm, <laughs> I've got to figure this out. And that was, a, I suppose, a, a naturally intelligent thing to do because I found that, People, I found one of the main things that have been misunderstood um, in the world is pain, the nature of pain. And I'm talking back to the 80s now. You know, people were not understanding the nature of pain, um, and that there was a communication with pain that would take you into your complete evolution. And if you don't, if if you avoid that pain, you would very much. Um, not evolve, and the reason be uh, not evolve. I don't know, you will not heal, um, and that to me equates to evolving because you learn so much from your pain. In the sense that you avoid your pain, um, and that's why it's the most ignorance we have. We are more ignorant about pain than I would say anything else. Um, that's just a brief thing because we don't want to go near it, and because we because we don't want to go near it, we understand all these other things about ourselves 
but we don't understand pain and the nature of pain. And I find that's one of my um, very great passions is helping people heal pain and heal illness in a natural way. So I went on to um, about the age of 18 or so, I went off and became a monk. And I did that until I was about 27. And so during that time, um, I was very, I would say, very fanatical, you know, like jump in, all all in. And in Australia, there wasn't any religions in the sense of that. I was in a period where religion, not no religions, but it was very uncommon or less common to be introduced to God or concepts of um spirits and so forth yeah spiritual concepts what, what kind of yeah. what kind of monk were you so i was a yogi monk yeah and a yogi okay. monk yeah so not a buddhist monk but a yogi monk um and so i the thing was that i meditated uh, a lot uh, you know usually eight 12 hours a day and i was very very dedicated and you know you're young and you're full of energy but i i came and full of naivety and that naivety, <laughs> yeah, 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 full of naivety, yeah. And you just, yeah. you don't know what you're getting yourself in for. And then next thing you know, you're in a trap of conditioning. You're in a trap of mind control. You're in a trap of um, having other people's thoughts um, and nobody else's thoughts, you know, no, none of your own thoughts. And you end up basically a robot. And I, I don't want to say too harshly, but a bit of a moron. Yeah, like like just doing what you're supposed to do and not really going into the depths of anything much at all because you just go along and you, you know, as long as you fill in the, tick the boxes each day, um, that's enough. And it's a nice, comfy um, escape from life. So, but what happened with me, it didn't <laughs> yeah. end up very, yeah, it didn't end up very comfy in, in the long run. Um, by the time I was about 22, 23, um, after about four years of doing this, I found that um, something started to rebel within me. Something was happening within my own physical system or within my own body or just in general. Yeah. And what started to happen um, really confounded me. And it went on for, um, I think, is all the way to the end, actually. It went on for about two to three, uh, three to four years. But the reason it took so long is uh, during the day I would condition myself um, into d- being a good little monk due to my d- naivety, yeah? <laughs> yeah. And then and in the evening I, it was the only time or the night time was the only time, and this is all understood in hindsight, yeah, but in the evening or was the only time that my my system could start to shrug off or break down the um, – in position that the thought process had put on me through this indoctrination. And I, I was lucky that it happened. But what happened was during the night, I would, it was sort of be in a in-between state between sleep and awake, but having no real control over your body, but not, not having access to motor, to the motor systems, you know. And this is not uncommon, I don't think, but what was uncommon was I found myself going through a couple of years of um, physical contortions um, on and off all night long. 
Um, and one thing is sort of like you've probably heard of you've heard of the wave. You know, the, you, you've yep, seen, yep. The, yeah. And it's a, it's one, a common that, trauma reaction. Yeah, a common trauma reaction. Yeah, exactly. And that that wave, which because I was traumatizing myself with thoughts, <laughs> you know, and it's yeah. bloody serious, <laughs> you know, with thinking yeah. is bloody serious. And so yeah. ultimately, um, I went through a complete. It seemed to be a complete um, loss of interest at, at, a, at the end of this whole process. I found myself just unable to take any interest or have any real comprehension anymore of what the hell I was supposed to be doing as a monk. Now, for a little while there, it meant absolutely nothing to me. It, I went through the ropes. I went through the, you know, whatever happened. I went through that in the sense of my daily routine. But from being a, 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 a teacher in um, for a, few, a lot, lot of years in this institution, uh, I went back to, um, in fact, I got kicked out of the system because I was um, causing too much disruption in the questioning, of course, you know. And this, yes. um, yeah, you know, and it's like, hang on, man, this is not adding up. But it was from a direct <laughs> physical experience of or a physicality of me it was not an intellectual experience because I didn't know what was going on, but it was just a purely physical experience um, of something unraveling within me. And in the end, it turned out. It seems to. It turned out to be um, the that my personas, uh, both before and after um, being a monk, um, my, sorry, before and during being a monk, they they basically um, dropped away. And I was then I was set out in the world uh, again at about twenty twenty seven, um, and I remember that early stage where I had no concept of what was right, what was wrong. Not meaning I was doing harm, but I was I was having no particular answers anymore, no particular beliefs, no particular opinions. Yeah, and so it was just oh well, I'm I'm out here almost like living a new life. And um, I put that down to maybe that process, but maybe not because I also think it was a-causal in, in the sense of you can't really know what changed you. Um, and so it was a-causal in that sense but because I can't be certain, yeah? But I went through this process and the outcome was this. So after, oh, during that meditation, I, as I was meditating for many hours a day, my, I stopped all. I stopped early, early doing techniques. I dropped techniques pretty well from probably about th three years in, and I would just. And this was not really preferred <laughs> at all. But what I was doing was, I was just sitting still, nothing more. I had no interest in doing anything more, and it seemed to be a um, uh, a gravitation. Or no, there was a. A change in me um, from imposing stuff on myself to receiving what may be there. And that receiving of what may be there is everything that started to erupt inside of me. And this is where I would find I, for example, would have pain in a particular part of the body. And the pain in the particular part of the body, I would just stay with that pain regardless of how bad it seemed to get. And each time it would dissipate at, as that pain healed or pain, uh, as that pain 
evolved or it resolved and evolved me. And as, as I did this, I found that I, the, immediately after or, or absolutely sometimes with it, with the whole uh, process, I was actually recalling the cognitive memories from within the source of this pain. So there was cognitive memories or cognitive beliefs, and a lot of the time it was just ideas that were harmful to my body, harmful to my system, I should say. And as I was in, uh, relieving myself of these, as I was being relieved, I won't say doing it myself because I wasn't, yeah, as I was doing it, being relieved of this myself, um, my uh, understanding of each part of the body started to develop and exactly what it was about. And that is where I started to understand that what the actions of a body or a body part um, do, um, that is where you hold the memory of those actions. So, for example, if you're a very simplistic thing, if you're being inflexible um, in your joints, you will find the yeah the joints will show up an inflexibility in your attitude yeah or if mm -hmm. you're yeah and so on if you're if you're in fear it will lo lo locate in your stomach if you're in yeah. if you're in grief it tends to relate more to the um uh, chest and, and so lungs. on and heart and lungs yeah so this is a common thing now but it wasn't common back then and so what mm. I yeah what I found is I I, I developed um an understanding of the body inherently, but I and how to heal, how I could heal myself um, on on a very deep level, and I think deep in the sense that I could completely heal myself, and that I was left without. Um, well, when I say completely, you you regather momentum with other pain along the way. You have more pain to come, or more experiences to come, where you fuck up or whatever you do, but. In yeah. general, my life was from that point a, a painless and a very healthy life, mainly because I think because of this process that I went through. Hi, everyone. Please raise your hand if you enjoy having dried out, aged looking skin, wrinkled skin, acne, skin blemishes that make you look unhealthy, or skin that itches from lack of supportive nutrients. No hands? Just what I expected. You know, even though I'm a 60-year-old man, I still want healthy skin because looking good helps me feel good too. Our skin is a living barrier that protects us from the sun, the elements, and a myriad of invasive organisms that try to enter us through our skin. Anyone that understands skin knows that good complexion begins on the inside, and that's exactly why Organifi created Organifi Glow, so you and your family can be healthy, stay young, and feel and look great from the inside out. My family and I love Organifi Glow, and so does our skin. This refreshing blend of organic nutrients not only tastes great, it supports your body's innate collagen production and promotes brighter, radiant skin. Boost your hydration and nourish your skin with 13 clinically studied superfoods. And unlike most companies that claim to be organic, Organifi does use certified organic nutrients and has been the only company that could show me their certifications upon request. Organifi Glow supports and promotes collagen synthesis so you regenerate beautiful skin naturally, supports and promotes hydration, nourishes your skin from the inside out by optimizing skin hydration. 
Organifi Glow includes Tremella Mushroom, which provides five times the moisture of hyaluronic acid, which is commonly used in skin products to increase moisture. Organifi Glow offers a delicious raspberry lemonade taste, but unlike most plant-based products, is certified to be free of glyphosate, which is extremely important today. It also includes plant-based collagen from bamboo, which is a very rare ingredient because most collagen is animal-based. Not only that, Organifi Glow includes bioavailable vitamin C from Ace Arola Cherry with all its natural cofactors that support absorption and supports your immune system at the same time. Additionally, it's important to remember that your skin is often a reflection of your gut health. The collagen and prebiotic fiber in Organifi Glow has been shown to improve gut health by repairing the gut lining and feeding healthy bacteria in our microbiome, so not just your skin, but your whole body gets nourished. To get your Organifi Glow and love your skin, go to Organifi.com forward slash check 20. And I'll even make it better. All Living 4D listeners get 20% off when they use the promo code capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 20. So your promo code is CHECK20, all in caps. Enjoy Organifi Glow. We love it. I love it. And I know you will too. Generally, what I, ha- what I did find is I... I- I tested this on a lot of people because I didn't know whether or not I was just on my own head trip. Yeah, I oh, you know, you, you, you know, <laughs> or, I mean, or no head trip. <laughs> it was more actually. That's it. It was really my own no head trip. Yeah, and it was like, well, you know, let's let's see what this is all about. And I didn't know that it could be applied to other people. Um, and so I opened a massage clinic because I studied massage in my. Um, teens yeah so i opened a massage clinic and after i'd become a monk uh, after i left being a monk because i was what am i going to do now okay i'll do healing because that was something i had a feeling i could do and the 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 main approach that i had or the main honest um experience that i was having is that when i someone came to me with a problem i could not see that problem I could not see it as a problem. And no matter what I said, what I did, sorry, I would not agree that they had a problem. I could not agree is what I should say. I, I All I saw was you haven't finished processing something. You haven't finished healing something. There's no problem here. What are you going on about? You, the, There's no such thing really. You're just getting stuck, <laughs> yeah, and whether it be yeah. a psychological problem and whether it be a, a physical, you know, injury, you need a Bit of, bit of a back crack or, you know, whatever. I had no um, no way for myself to accept even because I couldn't actually con- conceptualise that this was actually a problem, but they just needed a help along to finish the process and that got remarkable results, far better results than I, other people were getting. And so I, I got really, really busy, you know, like I... I, I was booked out for like three months mostly, you know, in the, but uh, not straight away, but after about the first year. And I was doing 45 massages a week. I was energetic, you know, and, and this was something. You have to be. <laughs> oh man, I was energetic. Yeah. And I was, I was, it was, this was my passionate period of, of discovery. 
yeah, of, yeah, what is this? What can we do, yeah? And you know what that's like, I'm sure. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and you're probably still that passion, but good on you. <laughs> so, you know, the, that's very good. But um, then I started to understand more and more and more. At one point I had to go, uh, I found that many things weren't becoming resolved, so I had to go deeper. And to go deeper, I had to get more involved with meditation retreats again. And so up to that point, I'd gone off them. I was meditating for myself, but I didn't like what I had done with meditation and I was I had an aversion to it. Um, and so, and to me, traditional meditation, to me, isn't really meditation. It's just more thinking uh, because it starts with a thought that's imposed on an idea that's imposed. What, what I'm interested in is receiving whatever is inside of me, which takes a lot more subtlety, actually, um, and a lot more sensitivity, and it enhances your sensitivity as it unlocks you, if you like. And uh, so I'll talk a bit more about that. But the process that I was interested in talking about was not only was I able to find these parts of the person's body that were um, in pain or that were ill or that were, um, how should I say, injured, yeah, that were injured and so yeah. forth, um, and rectify that problem quite prop quite easily actually surprisingly with the right approach you can get pretty good results and i've you know i'm and usually very good results um because you're not attacking the body you're working with the body <laughs> you know working with it you know yeah. whereas say allopathic medicine has a has the opposite approach i find where they just hammer the shit out of the body for being in pain and for having something wrong with it and it's like oh yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's not right it's not the right approach and so no. um, I don't think so, but it, it causes harm. Yeah. So, and I'm I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure you you feel the same way. <laughs> and um, yeah. yeah. So this ultimately started running meditation retreats again because I was unable to with certain people I was unable to get the results that were good enough, or they would keep coming back over and over again, and I'd hit a dead end. So I realized I'm going to have to teach these people to meditate in this way. I've got to have to get them inside their bodies, inside where the information is. And that was an interesting process. That was very difficult because what I didn't understand was they didn't realize what I didn't realize, what people didn't, what people, just as we demonstrated today, that people didn't know what I meant when I said feel. Yeah. Mm, yes. They didn't know what I meant. And I'd be talking away and giving all the instructions. And I'm like, what is wrong with these people? Why is it not working? <laughs> and then I found out in about the second retreat, it started to dawn on me that, oh, this is not the right word. So I'm going to come back to, just come back to physical sensations and no more dramatic than that. Just feel your physical sensations. And this started to unlock what Jung would call the unconscious. This is what started to unlock the cognitive memories, but initially at, at the pain of trauma started to erupt. And the whole mm -hmm. healing of the whole healing process for me completely changed and that was a whole nother level that i could take people to to help people with trauma and it's much more um I, it's much more um 
sophisticated in my delivery today, but with but still, essentially, it's no different. <laughs> yeah, essentially, the simple thing was sit with your pain, process that pain, and get in t- and get in touch with the feelings that are coming to you, and don't go, don't leave it, don't uh, don't don't. If you feel fear, feel the fear. If you feel distress, feel the distress. If you feel the resistance, feel the resistance. And if you feel all those things, you will process those as well, all on the way to getting closer and closer to the nugget you're looking for. (laughs) Yeah. And so, because often. I think that's a very important approach, particularly for today. Yeah. Because, like you were describing earlier, and as a therapist with a lot of experience at this and meditation, I can pretty much predict what was happening when you were telling people. I just want you to sit and feel our Western mind immediately thinks instead of feeling you straight away because it's, it's always looking for a label. So always it, you see, this is why thinking and feeling are counterposed in Jung's model, yeah. because if, Correct. if you, if, if you don't have a way into your feelings <laughs> and, you know, people that have been traumatized try to avoid those feelings because uh, they don't want to have to feel the pain again. Yeah. So when you're when you're trying to get people to meditate by using the word feeling, they go right up into their head to say, well, what is it that I'm feeling? And now it just becomes another runaway intellectual process, which then frustrates the shit out of them because they're supposed <laughs> to be sitting there with a quiet mind meditating, but their mind's going crazy. Yeah. So I think what I really like about your approach is that where a lot of people's conception of meditation is this concept of stopping the mind from thinking, which you know you can't do because a thing a, a thinking machine thinks. So stopping the <laughs> mind from thinking is like saying, I want to stop a wheel from rolling. Well, it's a roll or sun from shining. That's what makes a sun a sun. If it didn't shine, we'd call it a moon or an asteroid or a planet. But when you can get into this form of meditation, then you don't have to worry about all the stuff popping up on the radar. What, what you can do is, is learn to distinguish a thought from a feeling. And, and, but that you don't even have to do that. You just sit and say, okay, I'm feeling all of it. Sad, sadness in my heart or yes. tension in my belly. Yeah. And whatever the one that's calling your attention, if you just be with it and allow it, I would say it to communicate to you and just be with it, then you actually start having a relationship with the very part that's probably giving you the symptoms because you have not been in relationship with that aspect of your authentic self. Yeah. Am I interpreting you correctly? Almost, almost. Yeah, it's quite good. Um, the, there's nothing wrong with your interpretation because it's obviously you've got to, you've got to get the, to that point um, slowly. And that won't be slow for you, <laughs> I don't think. But and that is that the separation between mind and body, the separation between thoughts and feelings, yeah, the se- separation between thoughts and feelings, or thoughts and body, yeah. This separation um, is, to me, unhealthy. Yeah. So that's a type of a disassociation. So yeah. it's not. Yes, that's not so much. Um, a cause for concern what you're thinking. In fact, the thoughts that are happening are very important, even though 
they're garbage, you know, even though they don't seem to make much sense. But the thoughts that are just happening, they're very important. And although you can get distressed about them, they are actually a purging of information, an overload of information in your system. And um, yeah, this is actually okay. But the trick is don't grab hold of them. You let them purge, mm -hmm. but you, you may grab hold of them like sometimes there's a thought that takes you there's a, no, there's a sensation. Once you get past the thought process and you get into the sensation process, hmm, I'm saying this wrong. You, you, you don't disassociate thought from sensation in the meditation. You are a whole being. And so what I'm doing is all within that whole being, you are encapsulating with equal rights all your different aspects, all your different ongoings. Yeah. And not concerned about one or the other over the other. The, and, and not putting importance on one or the other because the danger of that is once you put importance on one or the other, thoughts to sensations, you start to pursue that and you start to pursue uh, with effort uh, a, 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 a fictitious goal of improvement, yeah? Mm -hmm. And that's okay, but the problem is, is if you're wanting to improve, you're not going to improve. Um, if you're wanting to improve, the paradox is, is that you are undermining yourself, the part of yourself that you have bias about that needs, you think needs to improve. But the fact is, you've got no way of knowing, especially at an early stage, you've got no way of knowing whether it needs to be improved or not until you know yourself thoroughly and the, the only then have you got a right to say i don't like it or i do like it yeah if, if you don't know you've got to get through that bias is what i'm trying to say i was just going to make a clarification for the Please. listener because i mean i agree with everything you're saying i think i think what's important is the distinction that until you get to know yourself you run the risk of identifying with your thoughts, labels, judgments, etc., as yourself without realizing most of that isn't you. It's your mother, your dad, your school teacher, your society, your superheroes, your television screens, your social media. That yes. those are all imprint. They're they're they're, they're kind of like being painted on the lenses of your <laughs> mind. But you lose you lose the distinction until you take your glasses off and go. Yeah. Oh my God. But now you run the risk of going, who am I? Because you've so departed from your authentic self to be in this externalized self, which is a lot of what's running through your mind when you're going through your meditation process. So I, I think what I hear you saying and what I think is important is that coming into yourself deeply enough to know who, who you really are is a necessary prerequisite so that you can actually begin to distinguish what thoughts, feelings, and emotions are external. Yeah, but this is this has got a fail safe. Yeah, this has got a fail safe, and that is we are not going external. Yeah, and even if there are external influences, yeah, like we're saying, there's external influences even in the atmosphere. Even if there's yeah. external influences, if you don't react to that as external influence, you are not identifying with it. Mm -hmm. So reaction is identifying, whereas if right. in that sense, whereas if you are, if there is internal or external um, 
we don't need to worry about that, that we're really simplifying this, really, really simplifying this, and, and it really works. You don't really need to be concerned about anything at all. You can trust your body. If you give it full rain, if you give it the reins that it needs, you'll find that it will find its way through the muck, yeah? And mm. part of the reason is, as why it's important, is you may not know what the muck is now. Yeah? yeah. And you may not be able to distinguish the muck from the gold. Yeah. You may not be able to, but actually it's not necessary. What happens is how the, the process of discovery of what the muck is, is within the muck itself. In other words, you are not separate from the muck. Yeah. And you're not separate in sensation or thoughts. You are just going through the whole experience because this becomes a radically, you know, sort of like a many, a many faceted experience when you're sitting. And all, and you, if you're not identifying, when you do identify, that's fine. When you do identify, that's because you are having to learn to disidentify, not disassociate, but to disidentify. Yeah. Right. And how are you going to learn that? Only when you realize, only as you go through the process of allowing that condition to show you everything it has to show you and educate you from that experience and i don't mean intellectually educate you i mean uh experientially you you don't even necessarily ever get to know what it is but you come to an agreement you come to a not agreement you come to a um a uh the the process of resolving a pain a one pain is you go in there you, you find you're in pain. It happens naturally. You don't force it. You don't go looking for it. It happens naturally. And then you're in that pain because that's what's naturally happening, yeah? And then you process through that pain because that's what's naturally happening. And then you come out the other end of it because that's what naturally happens. And then you might be onto the next thing and onto the next thing, not because you're pursuing a result, not because you're pursuing a goal, um, but because you are simply interested, taking an interest in, interest in your well-being. That's really all it is. I want to know me. When I meditate, I want to know me exactly as I am. Therefore, whatever shit's going on, whatever calmness is going on, all of that is still, even today, um, very, very uh, significant. Yeah, that is my gold. That is my information because that information is what is going to ultimately free me from, you know, the condition that I'm facing, the the influence that I'm under, and so on. But that, but at the same time, it's a paradox. If you try and achieve that, you will be um, in criticism and objection to that. So you can't receive it as it really is. Once you're imposing a criticism or an objection on a particular experience, that's your bias playing in again. And you, it's very, so you, you find that when you sit this way, just for the sake, just, all you really got to do is sit still. All you really got to do is sit still. And whatever is happening inside of you right now on a sensory level, just leave it at that for now. 
and see what you are feeling. I don't mean think intellectually about what you're feeling. See what arises. See what captures your experience the most, yeah? And you will naturally feel it there. I'm not even talking about gravitating to it because you are not actually separate from it. That's an illusion. And that's an illusion created by thinking. Yeah. And so that's how I need, need you to, that's how I need a person to gradually understand, not that gradual actually, but gradually understand how the meditation process, uh, which is going to lead to healing, um, intelligence, yeah, um, a negation of confusion is not actually on an intellectual level, but it is this, this whole level of just experiencing whatever is going on and as it is in in totality. That way you don't put any more importance on being this way or any more importance on being that way or importance on not being this way. And that is, I mean, it's a lot to take in straight away, but that is um, a, 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 a state, if you like. I wouldn't call it a state. That is not interfering with what's going on, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, it, it's yeah, not interfering with what's going on, but you're not vaguing out, you're not, you know, you're going to go through pain, you're going to go through things, and that allows the process to happen quite rapidly, really, yeah. Um, whereas if you're approaching something to try and fix it, you won't get that same result because you'll find that if I'm labeling something, you know, like the Zen Buddhists have the technique of going, oh, pain in the knee, yeah. Well, when you say pain in the knee, for example, it's just one technique. Oh, getting so much pain, I'll say pain in the knee. When you say pain in the knee, yes, the pain in the knee does feel less because of saying that. But what is actually happening? You are disconnecting from the pain in the knee by thinking about it. <laughs> and people don't know this. You, 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 oh, pain in the knee. Oh, oh, oh. You've got a disconnection happening instead of going, with the feeling of it, you go into the thought process again, and it, it's 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 a it's a, a subtle thing, but it makes a huge difference. So the the inside out process is one of receiving, the outside in process is one of pursuing, and you know pursuing enlightenment, pursuing whatever, and that's why people think so much in meditation because they can't stop the desire. To achieve something, which is thinking, <laughs> yeah, and it just goes on and on and on. If you can drop that desire to achieve something, well, I'm just as I am. What is there to achieve? Well, therefore, what really is there to think about? That doesn't mean thought doesn't happen, but deliberate thinking is not happening. And in the end, you will find that the um, thought process that you were talking about it you do drop beneath that thought process and you you're quite you 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 you're quite quiet you know not that that's a goal i don't like to call that a goal i'd rather see it like um i don't want to give that same mistake of saying stop your thinking stop your thinking this is not meditation that's a goal <laughs> yeah a goal oriented a goal oriented process I would say maybe meditation is a, the unique thing about it is it has no goal. It has no orientation. It's just sitting still and doing and, and giving yourself a chance. 
um, to recover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think part of the problem is that we're in such a goal-oriented culture from the beginning of our school. We're graded on tests. We get a report card, you know, no, you know, sports, whatever it is. It's always about achieving a stated or an unstated goal. So I think it's a hard concept for a lot of people yeah. with Western programming to to get apart from because it's actually fused into their sense of identity. Why I'm bringing that up is because you know, I'm I'm sitting here listening to you talk and I'm thinking, okay, what is my mental emotional orientation to myself when I want to meditate? You know, I, I, I tend to meditate in the sauna because I have such a busy life that if I don't couple those two together, then <laughs> it's one or the other, right? And it just turns out that a sauna is a fantastic place to meditate. So it works really well. But, you know, and I'm you know, I'm like you, I'm, I'm not a young man anymore. I'm 61. So I've matured. Yeah, 63. Through a lot of <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're close in age. We're close. Yeah. And so, yeah. So when, when I meditate now, I mean, I started learning meditation when I was 12 in the self-realization fellowship temple. And then I spent my 15th summer with the monks and went through training for a whole summer. So I learned meditation very early but then it was something that I thought I had to do as part of a spiritual practice because at that point, thank God, the monks became my heroes. Like I, I, I had somebody to look up to that, that represented to me as a child, somebody that I wanted to be more like where my parents were always in a state of chaos, stress and arguing and fighting. And I thought, wow, these people are, if, if I could have parents like that I'd, or be like that, I'd be yeah. a happy guy. So my, my childhood orientation was I meditate because I want to be more like that and less like that and, and less like my school teachers and less like the people that irritate me because these monks never irritate me. They're always fun yeah, yeah, to yeah, be yeah. around. But now in my, as I matured through the ages, I found that my relationship with meditation changed. And now my orientation is I'm so excited to go meditate because I just get time to be with myself, <laughs> not not to try to stop thinking, not to fix things, but just to sit and bring my conscious awareness and presence totally within what I perceive to be myself so that I can actually nurture that relationship and stay connected to who I really am in my core essence. Because I find the world is extremely effective at taking you out of that relationship. And pain is often really a, a, a dire straits mechanism to say, hey, you have left yourself behind. Yeah, You are worried exactly. about making money. You're worried about getting this promotion. Or you're worried about how good you look or how strong you are, but you forgot to have a relationship with you yep. and you're relating to this dragon that you've painted, which is an idea of who you're supposed to be. And I think that's what leads people to a midlife crisis right there. You, you, you find that no matter how much you relate to the idea of yourself, it never fulfills you and you never really get any deeper into the relationship. So you, you start working so hard to constantly inflate this empty shell and 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 so what i love about what you're pr- proposing and what you're you're teaching as i conceive it and what i experienced doing some of the stuff on your app 
is that it really is in line with my conception of I meditate to, to nurture my relationship with myself, spend time with myself and remind myself of who I really am so that I don't lose touch with that. Yeah. Because exactly. that's the part that has to heal if there's healing to be done. And if I'm not there, how can I heal? That's right. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. Matthew, I, I really think what you're doing is way overdue uh, as a worldwide application, a concept, a tool, a technique, um, whatever you want to wrap it up. I mean, I, I know you probably don't call it a technique, but I think this wow. approach to meditation and to healing could be more powerful than almost everything we've been using combined because it's one of the only approaches I've ever seen that actually brings you back to you. Yeah. And instead of seeing the pain as a problem or something that you've got to numb, drug, cut out, medicate, distance yourself from, overpower with your mind, you're really bringing us into the state of that if we just become present with our body and become present with the process of our feelings that ultimately the body is going to resolve this. Um, and all it takes is just our willingness to be present with the process. Is that yeah. a fair encapsulation? For sure. And not only resolve this, but I would say resolve this much more thoroughly um, because of the lack of interference of the thought process and all our knowledge that assumes so much about, oh, we're healthy now, oh, we're this now, oh, we're that now, oh, that's enough. And actually you you find that there's a lot more involved in healing, not only the, 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 the pain of what you heal, but what you go through to heal that pain. And that is also, it can be a bit of a crisis as well. Um, and yeah. it, and adds adds another problem on top of it. The beauty of this is this takes care of all of it without um, really defining one from the other at all. And you know, the only reason you know that you are healed of something is because you do not operate that way. You do not feel that way, and you do not um, live that way. Um, afterwards, you, know, right. you 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 find that you have changed, and I don't, but not by trying. Yeah. Hi, everybody. I hope you're enjoying the show. You know, people worldwide are not only finding it hard to find organic and free-range, regeneratively farmed animal foods, but as you surely know, it's almost impossible to find anything worth eating in stores, airports, gas stations, or even in the stores that should have real food. Additionally, most children are sent to school to eat microwave processed, chemically raised, and chemically laden garbage from school cafeterias or out of their lunchbox simply because most parents just aren't aware of the dangers of commercial food. But the truth is, there are no shortcuts to health and wellness. Unless, of course, you let Paleo Valley do the work for you. Autumn Smith, founder of Paleo Valley, is not only a mother who understands the importance of feeding children wholesome, clean foods, but is a holistic nutritionist who pours her soul into all Paleo Valley products. And Paleo Valley's meat sticks are made from regeneratively farmed animals that are raised with the highest possible standards of care. Paleo Valley's meat sticks are also fermented, which significantly enhances the nutritional quality and flavor of them. 
My family and I love them and carry them everywhere we go, be it during rides in the car, outings, ski trips, or we put them in the kids' lunchbox and they love them. In fact, many people I know resort to them as a meal when time is tight on the road or traveling by air. I know of no better portable food or snack food anyone can eat without losing quality or satisfaction, and we love sharing them with our guests and students at our Rainbow Workshops. Paleo Valley's meat sticks come in beef, turkey, and pork maple bacon flavor. To get your meat sticks, go to P-A-L-E-O-V-A-L-L-E-Y.com. That's paleovalley.com. To save 15% on your purchase, use the code capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 15. That's check 15 at checkout. And while you're there, check out Paleo Valley's other excellent foods and whole food supplement offerings and your body and your family will love you for it. Enjoy Paleo Valley. I know I sure do. You're going to offer us a meditation, but before we do the meditation, something just rose up in me that I think is really important. I want to hear your thoughts about, you know, Right now, we have Elon Musk working on his Neuralink technology (laughs) where they're going to put chips in your brain. You've got a massive amount of biohacking going on. You've got the Internet of Things. You've got people that are going to be chipping themselves so that they can actually dial phones at thoughts of it. They can search the Internet just by thinking about it. It, it, You know, if, if I take the line of rationale, logic, reason and practice that you've established through your own life experience and what you've developed as the undue technique, it seems to me that the same things you've identified that are blocking us from healing and having an authentic relationship with ourselves are going to get much worse because now we not only have our own intellectual processes and cognitive process, but we now are wired into the web of everything. And it seems to me we may get so far from our bodies and from our sense of self that we may just actually implode and lose sense of what it even means to be a human being or even potentially be alive. I'm I'm wondering what your thoughts are on this whole thing. Once you're traumatized, you are unable to feel. Once you're unable to feel, you are no longer really that human in that area. You can do anything in that area if you've been traumatized in an area. In other words, you if you've been abused sexually, you often will become a sexual abuser just for you know, because yes. you can't you can't feel the problem that you're causing. You don't feel any empathy. So you're that de- you're deadened and in just acting out uh, a robotic um uh, program in that way. And the reason you do that is because you're trying to um, get the pain recognized out in the open to get help. These are not bad people. These are people who are stuffed up. Yeah. And they're yeah. trying to get help. They're actually a cry for help. I, I, I believe. Yeah. Now, the other thing is say with the oligarch and this type of, you know, really serious, uh, mind control, you know, MK Ultra and so on. I, I, these types of, um, people are not intelligent. I don't feel find they're intelligent. I can heal someone of this stuff, um, but they know how to harm them. They know how to program that, that in through torture, um, and I'm I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in healing them from this sort of thing. I've, and I've I've worked a lot with um, people who've been programmed by these these oligarchs, and so uh, not a lot, but enough to know what goes on. 
Yeah. And just look out the window. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Shit. And the other thing is, I would say these people uh, are becoming definitely more. The simple thing is what you can't feel if you lose empathy, if you lose the capacity to relate to a natural sensation, you will become harmful. You won't care anymore. And so that will be. There's nothing to stop that, really. But I also want to say that the main problem is our reaction and getting caught. I know we have to talk about it, we have to know about it, but we have to be informed. But is the reaction to becoming caught in um, uh, the reaction to all this going on? Now, once you become caught to the reaction of all this going on in the world, you become also tortured by that reaction, by your own reaction. So that so that 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 those thoughts are not helping you. Those thoughts are destroying you. And it's almost like the 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 conditioners or the programmers or the influence of the media or whatever it happens to be already have already won. They've already won the race because we are torturing ourselves in re- in being in reaction, which means I'm constantly thinking about this shit. Yeah, so yeah. I know we have to know about it, but we but we have to have a way of not thinking about it unnecessarily, not emotionalizing about it, not being dri- driven by it, and this way free ourselves at least whatever individuals are left in the world, you know, that are humane free ourselves from that stress um, and this this way actually when you uh, uh, resensitize you also find that you cannot perform actions that are so harmful and this is like a how should I say undermining of the whole programming of the whole oligarch on a personal level if you can know your thoughts and what your thoughts are, and even more important, you get to the depth of knowing your feelings, then you have an ability to sense when something, I mean sense when something is not right. It's your sense when something is not right. It's other people's thoughts when they don't know, you know, when, when we don't know what's right. So when you gain regain your sense, you have the only protective mechanism you have against all this shit, and that is to... Re- re- retain your sense of yourself of what is right for you and it will be for everybody as well i know that was quick and i don't know if it made it a lot of sense yeah yeah basically in a nutshell what i heard you say is if you become identified with your reactions to yep. the perceived threats be they the oligarchs uh you know world economic forum the government uh, any controlling agency, then you actually lose yourself into the battle, which is right where they want you, which ultimately burns you out and turns you into an addict of some kind to compensate. Yeah. And ultimately what happens is, is then you become identified with the battle itself while forgetting who you are and paradoxically traumatizing yourself while trying to protect yourself. And so it's a Mexican finger trap. The harder you try to get out of it, the harder it holds you in it. And that's exactly what they want. What they want. That's exactly what they want. Yeah. Yeah. So what you're saying is develop a relationship with yourself, become connected with your feelings and your sense of who you really are, 
And only from that place can you really discern what is it that you want or don't want because you have to know who you are to know what you want. And then you don't have to participate, nor do you have to defend. You just have to say, this is who I am and this is, you know, how I live. And, yep. you know, if you get enough of us doing the same thing, then then all of a sudden their tricks don't work so well. That's right. Exactly. And I know there's a lot more to say on this subject, but that's the essence of it. You've absolutely, yeah. na- you absolutely nailed it. So <laughs> well done. <laughs> we did a good job. Well, the thing is, is these are important things to me as a therapist, as a father, as a teacher, as a human being. Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, a lot of people are very like worried about how do we get, how do we get out of this psyop? How do we, you know, disconnect ourselves? And I, well, I've always said, well, there's one way to do it. Just shut it all off. Turn off your television, turn off your social media, only use your phone to call people that you have healthy relationships with. But people aren't ready to do that. I think, you know, I think even if they keep the shit going, the more they do what you're suggesting, the more natural it is for them to start realizing that I don't even want to listen to that crap anymore because it feels like something other than what I am. I don't want that in me. You know, when you realize you're clean water, you don't want mud inside of you. Absolutely. And that is exactly, I never tell people to stop doing this, to stop doing that. I don't need to. All I want to do is get them in touch with themselves and they stop it. Their intelligence increases. Because you have a sense of your center, right? Houston Smith says something beautiful. I have it right here. I stick it on my computer in front of me every day. He says, and this is totally a Matthew uh, uh, Zoltan type comment. (laughs) Insofar as one leads a centered life, tensions disappear. Yeah. And I'm really what you're trying to, to, to say, as I conceive of it, is, is this is how you get to your center. And once you're in your center, then you know what is and isn't you, what is or isn't useful to you, what are exactly. is, is or isn't worth your time and energy to get yes. involved in. And you're not so easy to trick anymore because you actually are able to discern what is or isn't healthy. And the thing is, you can't really discern on the thought level you discern on the feeling level, on the sensory level. Yeah. Yeah. The animal knows, the animal knows best. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think the conception that, that I think works best for that is that only the heart can deliver judgment to the mind. <laughs> because, because ultimately the heart makes judgment based on love and connection. But yes. the mind makes judgments on disconnection and chopping things into pieces. So if you're yeah. living in your head, then you chop the whole into pieces and go, what happened to the world? Where if yes. you're living in your heart, the heart tells your mind, don't believe in that. That's a bunch of bullshit or don't buy into that because yes. that's, that's going to that's gonna disconnect you. It's going to traumatize you really and disassociate you. Yeah. So I think bringing ourselves into the body certainly brings yourself into contact with the heart because, you know, the heart <sighs> is what gives the body its pulse, right? Without the heart, yeah. then the body's just wood. Yeah. So that's why I like to ground it in that simplicity because there's real power and gut, guts in that. Yeah, it's simplicity. It's got It's got form. It's got something that everybody can relate to. Yeah, everybody can, and then everybody, it's useful for everybody, yeah? And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to give something not too elaborate, not too far out, just something 
you know, I can be far out, but it's not interesting for me now. I've got a, I've got a mission, you know, I've got a mission to help people heal. And that, and that's a very serious, serious mission in the world we have today. Well, well, without it, we're done. (laughs) We're done. We're seriously, we're, we're stuffed. Yeah. So, so Matthew, I'd love to go through a, a guided meditation so that everyone can have an experience of the undo approach. Would you guide us, uh, through a meditation to experience it? Absolutely. Let's just do it. And so it's very simple. Very, very simple. Just notice whatever you are feeling in your body right now. I won't guide you to a particular point, but your body will guide you to what it most needs. Where you need to be feeling the most may be the most uncomfortable and the most disturbing because that's the part of you that needs attention. Don't put pressure on yourself to achieve anything at all. Just feel the part of you, the part of the body of you that needs your attention the most. That may be a pain in the hip. It may be a slight headache. It may be a pain or a sensation of stress in your chest. Whatever it is, wherever it is, pick that one thing that you feel the most. Just let it come. Let it come and it will. Just let it come from inside of you and it will. Trust your body to take advantage of this quiet time. So we're not trying to feel a good way or a bad way. We're just feeling the way we feel. When you pay attention to your sense organs, for example, listening, which you are all doing right now. Just feel what it feels like to listen. 
and you will find the feeling of listening is inside your ears. Feel the feeling of listening. Nothing more. Just listening. Not to the words so much, but to the actual sense of listening. What does it feel like to listen? You will find, in time and with repetition of just paying techniques, just paying attention to yourself, giving yourself some space to arise within yourself, to come out from hiding within yourself. You will finally be able to do this. But for now, just feel the area of your body again. The area of your body that you find the most demanding, and if it's painful, that's okay. If it's pleasurable, that's okay. But don't worry about your thinking. Let your thinking go on in the background. And as you go deeper beneath your thinking, you are going deeper into sensations, nothing but sensations. Very, very subtle at first. So come back to the sense of hearing, the sense of listening. This time, just feel the fulfilment of doing this simple thing, the peace and the quiet, the thoughtlessness of just listening. And again, go deeper into your body to gradually feel the sensations in there. So you are combining listening with feeling.
feeling yourself as you are. Now this is not a complicated thing and it may not seem very deep but in time you will go very deep. I would say in all honesty this is the deepest you're going to go. You just haven't got used to it. You haven't learnt to appreciate it or be attuned to it. But the more you do, the deeper you will go. So now, I think I was just going to wrap it up by it's a very simple meditation I know but I want it to be simple I don't want it to be complicated and you can take this a lot further um, with the app mobile application that I have that really gives you an understanding step-by-step understanding and it's quite deep but not intellectually deep or overly complicated it just will hit home in so many ways so the one is we have an app discount code of check one two three for one month free on the annual subscription that's fantastic so that's check one two three C H E K one two three to have a one month free on the annual subscription. The other is I am bringing out a book at the end of March, simply a guide to natural meditation um, by Matthew Salton. And the other is if you want to go even deeper, particularly after using the app and studying, I run meditation retreats from 7 to 21 days. And these are serious retreats with serious healing. You can reach that information (coughs) in Quiet retreats, that is, quiet retreats, yeah? Got to have an S on that. So quietretreats.co. The other... C-O. Yeah, dot C-O. The other is to download or get information on the mobile application. It's undo app, U-N-D-O, app. So com, And for one-on-ones and uh, a certain interviews, not interviews, I'd say counselling sessions or just help, 
um, that I'll, I'm very good at uh, doing. Uh, you can uh, contact me on any of these, undoapp.com, quietretreats.co, but I do have a website, mattzoltan.com. So that is M-A-T-T, Z-O-L-T-A-N, Matt Zoltan. And I'm looking for philanthropic support grants aimed at early stage, high impact social enterprises on a mission to drive social change. Just go to the Undo website, undoapp.com. That will get them through to us for sure. And the only other thing was uh, you can read my white paper that you were looking at on disassociation too. It's on the Undo, Undo website. So all that information, that'd be great. Penny will probably uh, repeat that information oh, as, at the right after we finish here. So it, they'll have a double chance. So if you missed it and you, uh, just listen to Penny at the end. Oh, good. What a great conversation. I, I think we covered some of the most important issues not only of meditation, but really what's at the core of a lot of the problems we have in life. personally, yeah. in families, in societies, in culture, in the world. And also, I think you've given us a great opportunity to realize that there is not only an app, but a an approach to meditation that ultimately may be more medicinal than almost anything we could do when it comes to dealing yeah. with the stress, the fear, and the concerns of the issues of the world right now. So I think that's a great offer for everyone. <laughs> and I, I love the I love the simplicity of the meditation. You know, the world's gotten so complicated. You know, a lot of people keep trying to make stuff more complex because they think that's what people want or, you know, that if it's yeah. not complicated enough, nobody wants to spend money on it. But I think that we're I paradoxically, it's time for us to undo all that <laughs> and go back to, to really the, the basics of just being with ourselves and, and, and allowing our, our inner process to do the healing work, but to stick with it. I think that's one of the things, you know, people have a hard time with anything that isn't instant gratification. I think part of understanding meditation as a relationship with yourself not as something that you have to do yeah. changes the orientation because most people think, oh God, I got to meditate. I don't have time. But <laughs> if you realize that, you know, in order to love yourself, you have to be with yourself. And, yeah. and if you don't spend time with yourself, then how are you ever going to know who you are or what you want in any aspect of your yeah. life from intimate partners to jobs to, uh, whether or not you want uh, your brain implanted with a chip by God, you know, I, yep. I think, I think a lot of that stuff is really a desperate attempt to figure out who and what we really are, but they're doing it by losing themselves in the process. And thank you for a great podcast, great exploration and great um, clarity on concepts and techniques and um opportunity for everyone to try the app and to find you for help and meditation retreats. What, there's a lot of offerings there. Um, so thank you for your own journey, because I think it's really been a, a gift to, to us all to the degree we engage it. And uh, thank you to my sponsors for all your love and support and fantastic products and sustainable practices. So uh, I'd like to say thank you to all of you that listen. Um, 
and buy products from the sponsors because it supports the podcast so I can continue to support you with the best knowledge and wisdom from the best people that I can find, like Matthew. And uh, I have a lot of love and respect for all of you. I think if we all work together, and as Matthew's suggesting, take time to have a relationship with ourselves. Don't med- don't make meditation stressful. See it as an opportunity to heal, learn, grow, live, and love more fully. We'll <laughs> carry that into the world. And I think that's really about all we can hold ourselves accountable for. You know, yeah. as Gandhi says, if you change yourself, you've already changed the world. So I think we all have the tools. It's just a matter of you know, committing to the relationship to really be with and come to know ourselves and allow the wisdom of the body to do its magic healing work for us. Yeah. And uh, Matt, uh, maybe along the way we can have another podcast. I think we covered a hell of a lot of great information together. Oh, I absolutely. I think it was very good. And it, it, we worked really well together. So, yeah, yeah we covered so a lot resonate. of important stuff. All right. Yeah, and we can go. You. Yeah. There's a, long, a lot more than we can do, but for sure, but a very good first podcast. So thank you for the invitation. That's really good. Yeah, yeah. my <laughs> pleasure. All right, everybody, lots of love. I'll talk to you next time and um, keep practicing. Undo, <laughs> baby. <laughs> lots of love. Bye-bye. See you, man. Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guest, Matthew Zoltan. You can find Matthew online at mattzoltan.com, that's M-A-T-T-Z-O-L-T-A-N.com, or at undoapp.com. Or if you are interested in his quiet meditation retreats, you can find him at quietretreats.co. The Undo app can be found on Instagram at undo underscore app and on Facebook at undo natural meditation app or just email them at hey at undoapp.com. Matthew is offering Paul's listeners one month free with an annual subscription to Undo app. Just use the code CHECK123 when you sign up. That's capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, the numbers 123. You can find Paul on Instagram and TikTok at paul.check, on Twitter at paulcheck, or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash living4d with Paul Check. You can also watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com or visit the Czech Institute site at checkinstitute.com to find Paul's e-learning courses, advanced training programs, and to learn more about the Czech Academy. You can read the show notes and find links to the resources mentioned in this episode at checkinstitute.com forward slash podcast. And finally, if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a warm review at the top of the show page on Spotify or at the bottom of the show page if you are listening on Apple Podcasts.